This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be Nation, welcome back to another edition of Making Mount Rushmore here on the PTP Pop Experience. I am your host slash moderator, Steve Riddle, and today we are going to be experiencing love because it is the month of February and love is in the air with the topics we're going to be discussing. And to do that, I have a trio of great gentlemen on. Uh, they've all been on before, so you're very so you are very familiar with them. So let's go ahead and bring them in. First off, uh, I kind of joked about this uh, last month, but I feel like uh, He's kind of this gentleman has got his uh kind of got his name on the seat. He's been on the last uh, the last uh many times, but you of course can find him here on the Pop Experience as part of the Video Jukebox Song of the Day, and he does a lot of great other great podcasts, which he will mention. Is uh, Mr. Keith Langston? Keith, how are you, sir? Love is in the air. Yeah, how you doing, Steve? It's good to be here. It's great to be here in this wonderful February, the month of love. So, yes, I am excited to be here, and uh, I am excited to join not only the PTB Pop, but also the PTB Wrestling. I'm, I'm excited to be all over the North-South Connection, uh, everywhere. Everywhere you can hear my my voice, my annoying voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody would um, would agree with that. <laughs> you got a great voice, so. Thank you, sir. Also joining us, uh, it's been a while since uh, this guy's been on, but uh, we're always good to have him on. You also can hear him periodically through our video jukebox song here on the pop feed. It is Mr. John Kisalika. John, how are you, sir? Steve, I'm doing great. And yes, a month of love, a very uh, emotional month for all of us. Happy Valentine's Day early on to all of you here and to all of our listeners. I'm glad, in the words of, you know, a Valentine's card from Lisa Simpson, Steve, that you would choo, choo, choose me to join you in this discussion today as we dabble into some couples on the screen, both big and small. But looking really forward to getting back to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> well, in the words of another card on the Simpson, I'm glad that we could be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and finally joining us, uh, he's been on a, also on a, a numerous times. Uh, he is my uh, my co-host on the show um, Extreme Resurrection over on the wrestling feed. And he, of course, also just um, started hosting a new show there, of course, The Great Nation Invasion. It is Mr. James Grunberg. Grooney, how are you? I'm doing well, everybody. And I do have one question for you guys. Can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta sing it, Rooney. You gotta sing it out. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, well, like we've um, all said, that um, like I said, love is indeed in the air because it is the month of February, and we figured for our uh, topics this evening, we will be discussing uh, some of our favorite couples uh, from TV and movies. Um, obviously, there have been a lot of great um, romance films and a lot of great romances that we've seen on the television, and let's we're going to go ahead and start discussing it. And for our first half here, we will start on the small screen and talk our favorite TV couples. So we will go ahead and start off with Keith. Give us the first entry on your Matt Rushmore of TV couples. Well, I think that in the history of uh, television, of the small screen, if you will, uh, there is no better couple in the world 
than this one couple here who has had has had their trials and tribulations, their ups and downs, if you will. Uh, they have had issues with each other getting jobs that they didn't approve of. Uh, there was a one period where one of them had a gambling problem. Uh, the other one has an ongoing drinking problem. Um, yet they still and they struggle with paychecks and mortgage payments and whatnot. But still, they're able to maintain their love and affection for each other, raising three beautiful children. And, of course, I am talking about Homer J. Simpson and Marge Bouvier Simpson. I think that they are probably the most honest, true-to-life couple on television, standing the test of time. Um, If we want to be realistic, they've been married for over 30-something years at this point. So, And one of the things I love is that several times during the season, each season, they usually dedicate a good few episodes to just the ongoing love and devotion that Homer and March have for each other. And, uh, I mean, let's be honest, Homer married way up. I mean, Marge is just a dime piece, if you want my opinion. So I think that um, he is very lucky that he walked home and looked real sad on his prom night and was able to keep and uh, maintain that love and affection with that wonderful blue-haired woman. Yeah, um, I I did not make my own my my list like I normally would do, but if I did, um, I would have Homer and Marge on my Mount Rushmore. I definitely agree with you. They have been through so much uh, in uh, these last thirty years. You know, the um, the ups and the downs, the the love and the the arguments, and you know, however many times you know they've had to to retcon the you know their past relationships to kind of fit in with the story they're telling. Um, but through through and all, they have um, withstood withstood it all. And there were a couple of episodes that you know it almost seemed like that they would finally you know fin- be finished for good. But mm-hmm. they always um, they always managed to come back together. And you know, considering all the um, you know everything that they've had to go through with you know with having to raise Bart, Lisa, and Maggie, and all the constant uh, interferences from uh, Patty and Selma, who are who completely <laughs> detest Homer, um, to the occasional times when um, Artie Ziff would come back and try yeah. to march back from home, march back. But um, through it all, they've just, you know, they've, they've, they've persevered, and they stand, you know, as probably one of, you know, TV's greatest um, couples of all time for everything that they've gone through, and just for the love and affection that they show for each other. And, Garuni, you had uh, Margin Homer on your Mount Rushmore as well. I most certainly did. They have stood the test of time. You know, whether it's uh, Homer blowing the family funds on uh, jack-o'-lanterns, or, you know, selling the stock at the wrong time. You know, Marge having a gambling problem. Homer having a drinking problem. You know, they've lost the kids a couple of times, you know. And they have just done it all, you know. And uh, when when they first started dating, you know, and uh, Marge got pregnant, Homer, um, Homer realized that he had to get a job. And, uh, you know, he got that job at the nuclear power plant. And he's been there forever, you know even though he's been fired like way too many times. And he's like, Oh, I'll be back to work, you know? So yes, if there is one couple that deserves a spot on Mount Rushmore of couples, it is Homer and Marge Simpson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, John, do you have anything else to say about Homer and Marge? Agreed with everything that's been said. And for, you know, a show that, 
that endures for so long and that I absolutely love and that can feel like it loses its way at times, uh, sometimes a lot of times. I think when it comes back to its core and when we find it really resonating once again with the audience to me is when they take a moment and look closer at the relationship of Homer and Marge. When we get a, a an episode that actually focuses on their their love for each other and their their support of each other. I mean, the, even look at like the kind of times Homer's been kicked out of the house and how they come back together. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that always is going to be there. They're they are constant in each other's lives. And it's it's almost like it, it, they, they didn't re- list for me, make my list. And I feel it's because they're just such a steadfast couple. And it's understood that I understand they're going to be there, and I, I, I'm disappointed in myself for not including them on my list, but I'm glad that you guys gave them the shine they deserve here. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. They definitely deserve it. Um, well, John, we'll go ahead and stick with you. Uh, give us the first entry on your Mount Rushmore of TV couples. Yeah, so one thing I noticed when making these lists was when it came to TV couples, I seemed to be drawn to couples that didn't stay together. Uh, Homer and Marge, obviously, we just mentioned, you know, 30 plus years uh, together. But the couples that I love are ones that uh, really kind of either are on again, off again, or even just burn out and 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 go away. And I would start with, you know, my real New Jersey roots and go with Christopher uh, Moltisanti and Adriana Lacerva <laughs> from The Sopranos. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh. Well... You know, they were going to end up together. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but, you know, truly, truly, you know, she, Adriana loved Christopher with all her heart and, you know, was very encouraging of him, of, you know, his dreams and his, you know, in, in trying to become a screenwriter or even in supporting him in his efforts and joining the mob. And Christopher, for for all his his faults, still did you know, have feelings for Adriana, which is what tore him apart so much when he's, you know, finding out about her, her, you know, diming on them to the feds and et cetera. And his really, once he loses her towards the end is how everything really spirals downward for him. You can see that there's that missing piece uh, of his life. Christopher and Adriana, uh, when they were on screen together, there's just such great chemistry. They're hilarious in their interactions with each other, whether it's mm. Christopher eyeing up, um, you know, another girl and Adriana, you know, you know, b- scolding him for it. Uh, obviously, the sad ending of Little Cassette, the dog. Uh, but <laughs> Christopher, um, you know, un- unfortunately sat on. But still, she stuck with him and they were planning a wedding and everything seemed uh, that they would be able to be maybe the couple that gets out of this. And, uh, you know, unfortunately ends up with a, with a tragedy there. I love Chris and Adriana. Uh, I think some of my favorite moments of the show are really just them together, especially him thinking about being a model and how, you know, he'd probably he'd probably make too much money for it. So, they you know, and make everybody jealous. And Adriana just pretty, pretty you know, nonchalantly accepts that. She's like, yeah, of course. You're right, Chris. Uh <laughs> Gaslighting each other and just absolutely perfect people. I love Chris and Adrian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is um, I, I've said it 
a few times when we talked to um, other TV shows and other episodes is that uh, I obviously have a lot to uh, catch up on. And um, Sopranos was always the show I definitely have wanted to go back and watch. Um, but um, but I will definitely uh, take your take your word for it. Um, Grooney, do you have anything else to say about Christopher and Adriana? They were a great couple, but, you, you know, like, it's really one of those, like, sad fairy tale endings, you know, where Adriana thinks that she's going to get what she wants, you know, and, like, they're going to live happily ever after. And the bad news is there was no way that um, that Christopher was selling out Tony. So it was like, you're on your own. So when when he did it, I, like, you almost wanted to glimpse that, like, Christopher was going to run away with Adriana. And then you see her in the car with Silvio and it's like, well, this is not going to happen the way she wants it to. So, yeah, but they were really good on screen together. You know, they seem to really love each other. So it's a sad Romeo and Juliet tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Keith. And just like Romeo and Juliet, they both die at the end. So that oh wait, spoiler alert. I'm sorry, uh, Steve. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, come on, it's, it's a mob film. It's a mob show. Of course, people. Um, are I mean, I guess I could say Christopher. I mean, it's just that's. I mean, John, that's a fantastic pick. I mean, you are absolutely right. They were their their on their on screen chemistry between the two actors were were was incredible. Um, it was. It was a tragic romance. It was tragic the whole time that they were together. Uh, I mean, even from the, I want to say from her first appearance, it's, he's a piece of shit to her. And I mean, it's just, he put that poor woman through hell. He killed, you, you killed the dog. I mean, he killed the fucking dog. <laughs> um, he, he caused her, I mean, what she had IBS. She had IBS because of Christopher. She, she sat in the chair that the chair that Vito broke because of Christopher. I mean, Everything just was so poor. It was so, what a sad, sad story Adriana was. And <laughs> and then, you know, the ending of her life is just, oh, my God, it's so tragic. It's probably. And he most- really was. He really was devoted to her. I mean, you saw how offended he gets with Polly uh, sniffing her underwear oh, in the oh, drawer. Oh, absolutely. And that's like standing I mean- up for honor. Like Christopher, you know, took this seriously. He was he was going to, you know, kill Tony, like attack Tony because he felt he might have like slept sure. with Adriana. This and I is, think, you know, and I think he was. Uh, no, and I think he was gonna flip until he went to go get gas, and then he saw that that schlub guy who was, you know, with the girl, and he just realized that their lives would have just been awful and. You know, like a lot, I kind of think very Henry Hill-esque where he goes, now I'm just a regular schnook. And it's like, I think Christopher thought of that and said, I ain't fucking leaving this. Like, I ain't leaving this. And and then that's when he ends up going to Tony. But uh, no, excellent pick. Excellent pick, John. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, let's go now to uh, Gruny. Give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of TV couples. Oh, for this one, I feel that this is a very lovey-dovey couple. Uh, you know, like, they've grown up together, and they've had, uh, you know, trials, uh, you know, not with each other, not with just each other, but their friends as well. And this is like a TV series that I've grown up with, so I've grown up with the couple as, um, you know, as I grew up, I grew up uh, – I, I watched them grow up as well. And I'm talking about 
Corey Matthews and Topanga Lawrence from Boy Meets World. It starts off with them in middle school, you know, like they they kiss once, you know. Corey thinks like girls are, uh, you know, gross still, being like the seventh grade. And, you know, Topanga is sort of as matured. As they got older, you know, Corey finally asked her, will you be my girlfriend? Do you want to go out? And then, you know, they break up. They get back together. Corey gets caught cheating on Topanga. And then he goes through, like, a depression and, like, you know, a little bit of, like, alcohol drinking. And it takes a little bit of um, Sean to help them, you know, stay together as just friends while they're still, you know, broken up, too. So it had to take, like, another friend to help them, like, still keep their friendship while not being in a relationship. And then finally, Topanga realizes that, you know, she will always love Corey Matthews and Corey Matthews always loved Topanga Lawrence, and they end up uh, eventually getting married in college. And uh, according to Girl Meets World, they are still a couple today. So uh, Corey Matthews and Topanga Lawrence deserve a spot on my Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember. Um, I did watch the show a lot as well. It was one of the uh, hallmarks of uh, TGIF in the 90s. And um, I'm like you, you know. You watch Corey and Topanga kind of, you know, start off as like, you know, teenage, you know, as teenagers where they're just friends and they eventually develop feelings for each other to the point that they eventually do get married. And then, like you said, they end up, you know, we see them, they have their own kids, which we see in that spinoff, like you said, Girl Meets World. And they were just kind of the epitome of what a 90s teen couple was for those that did um, grow up in that time period and definitely, um kind of showed like the the growing pains that you were had you did go through as a um as a teenager and a young adult when you fell in love with somebody else in like middle school high school and um going through the growing pains of that i thought they did a really good job with that and definitely showcased um like you said the ups and downs that they went through um throughout the entirety of the show so i definitely um Kudos to you on that pick um there Grooney. um keith do you have anything else to say about Corey and topanga uh, I didn't watch Boy Meets World. It was kind of a show that was past my my age grouping. Um, for a hot minute there, I thought he was going to say uh, Kevin Arnold and Winnie Cooper, and I was going to go, up. Oh, they never got together, but he went with the other brother's show. Uh, so, no, I think that um, – I mean, I know that, that that show was just way too cotton candy sweet for me. I mean, and I know that they had some, <laughs> they had some like, manufactured drama and stuff like that, but – um, I, you know, I thought that, uh, that they're a good, they're a good couple. I know that they stuck together throughout pretty much the majority of the show and they're in girl meets world together, I think, is they're married and that's their daughter, I believe. And, uh, mm-hmm. yep, yep. so that's, that's wonderful. Um, I, I mean, I'm very happy for, uh, Corey Matthews that he ended up with the, the love of his life. And, uh, you know, I'm sure most of us wish that we had ended up with the first love of our life. Maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> probably not, but, uh, it's good, good for them. So yeah, I'll, that, that's what I'll say about that, but good pick Rooney. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of that, uh, yeah, a lot of that, uh, TGIF lineup definitely felt very, uh, cotton candy as someone who did watch a lot of those, as someone who did watch a lot of those shows, I can definitely attest to that. Um, John, do you have anything else to say about Corey and Topanga? Yeah, I'm on Keith's side here as a bit of a blind spot for me. I think, uh, 
uh, moved on from the TGIF style. And I would have expected this to be very cotton candy, but it sounded from Grooney's description that there was a, a bit more nuance and some darkness to the to the Corey and Topanga relationship that I wouldn't have anticipated. So maybe it's worth revisiting uh, to see this. But uh, to me, anytime you have a, a relationship like this that does develop over time and endures through high school into college and from what I thought was a bit weird, it seemed like they were married during college already. I'm not sure exactly, <laughs> I, just from my yeah, fringe was, understandings of Boy Meets did, World. Didn't they, didn't they get married at like <laughs> high school graduation or some bullshit yeah, like that? They, they proposed at the high school being, graduation. What an asshole. Like he, he seriously, proposed. he was, he's willing to live with that. What kind of expectations was this show setting for, uh, for yeah. younger people? <laughs> that he's going to be satisfied with that one piece of cruise the rest of his life. <laughs> you know, She's a great piece of coos, but come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Danielle Fischel. <laughs> my my main my main you know connection with the Boy Meets World was that Vader was on a couple episodes and you know. <laughs> he was. <laughs> but he I didn't. Was. I, aside from that, it's not, it's yeah, it's not one that was really on my radar. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I think there was a I can't remember if it was either on the wrestling feed or the North South feed they did a live watch of that um that episode um oh, yeah. oh, where it was like yeah Vader and I think Jake Roberts was on there as well so you know mid nineties yeah it's so birthday yep right, yeah mid mid nineties uh, Jake Roberts on a on a teeny bopper oh, show seriously <laughs> I can imagine I can imagine kids going like Dad who's that guy oh let me tell you how much cocaine I did with that guy. <laughs> I've seen Plunker. bathroom, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right, let's uh, go back around here to Keith. Uh, give us the next entry on your Matt Rushmore of TV couples. Um, okay, so I I did a lot of thinking about this, and um, I will say I, I'll leave out why I chose them so highly, or uh, be, instead of the other obvious television couple. Uh, because if somebody picks that other television couple, I probably will rip it to shreds, and I apologize before that. But one of my favorite television shows of all time, sitcoms, is Parks and Recreation. I think it is the best of those shows, um, those like mockumentary shows. Um, I think it is just – it had wholesome relationships in there, and none more so than Ben Wyatt and Leslie Nope. I mean – you're talking about Adam Scott and um, oh my God, why am I forgetting Leslie? Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler, thank you, Jesus. I don't know why I'm forgetting her name. Um, notice I don't forget Adam Scott. I mean, they their chemistry on screen from the first time they interact with each other, which again they're not they're not even frenemies, they're enemies. It's fantastic. The slow burn of them falling in love together. Um, I feel like it, it sets the standard for every like office or inner office, inner whatever relationship moving forward for sitcoms. Um, the fact that they had this love affair that was technically illegal under Chris Traeger to the trial of Leslie Nope to when he gives her the he gives her the friggin' button that says Nope 2012 on it when she's trying to like tell him that she wants to break up with them. And I mean, it's just and then they get married and then they find out they're having triplets and. Everything about them as a couple is just so um, like you're in constant perma smile when you're watching it. And I know that 
especially for the way that Leslie was portrayed as a character prior to that. Uh, you know, she had the relationship with Louis C.K. She had the relationship with um, Justin Thoreau. And it was like she had these other relationships that just didn't really seem to gel very well. And you were kind of thinking, Jesus, are they ever going to give Amy Poehler like a really good romantic interest? And I mean, shit, you had friggin' Nick Offerman had more romantic interests in the show than she did at that point. And then all of a sudden they bring in Ben Wyatt. He's, you know, you kind of get distracted at first because you got Rob Lowe kind of hooking up with, um, you know, with, um, oh my God, again, what's her name? Uh, Quincy Jones's daughter. <laughs> it's like Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones. Yes. Thank you. And, um, and it's like, you're like, oh, okay, this is, and then they just blossom into this wonderful relationship that, that lasted through the finale. Um, it's it just amazing. Excellent. I love it all together. I love it. I love that show so much. And, um, I mean, that's just for them. They're just, they're, they're perfect. They're a perfect couple. In my opinion, they complement each other so well, and they bring out the best in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is again another show. I think I've mentioned before when we've talked about this show. That this one I kind of I've always wanted to kind of go back and watch because I have heard a lot of great things about it. And um, it's an interesting dynamic where you have two characters that like start off as like you know rivals that they eventually start you know developing feelings for each other and then it grows from there. So it always plays off for good um, for good television, especially for a sitcom. Um, John, do you have anything else to say about Ben and Leslie? Just that, you know, what I appreciate most about this relationship is that it's one where it feels like the characters genuinely like each other. And I mm -hmm. think that's what really shines through on everything. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, two actors paired together uh, or two characters that we've written that that we want them to get together that they like. But actually, just that there's a genuine care and concern and support between them throughout uh, that 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 they uh that they capture and it feels effortless and so it, it just feels right that's a that's a great pick uh mm -hmm. Keith. thank you uh, yeah i'm i'm happy to see that i it, i came around to parks and rec late i've only really watched it for the last year and a half but yeah that's one of the reasons i that you can keep watching it and keep coming back is their their relationship mm -hmm. james um well keith i must apologize of I've only seen bits of uh, Park and Rec. I have not um, watched the whole show. Watched the uh, whole show, so I will have to look into that show. It's an easy watch. I mean, that's one of the things. And a lot of people, you know, they give like the first season. The first season's a little disjointed, just because they were kind of feeling out what they were doing, as most shows do. Um, but I mean, once the second season starts and you can get through the first season very easily. I mean, it's a half an hour sitcom. It's an easy watch. But like once you hit the second season, it's like it takes off and it's like they find their footing. And then you seriously get to watch like the next six, the next six out of seven seasons is just like joy, 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 joy. It's just it's a fun, very fun sitcom show, I think. Easy watch. OK. All right. Well, let's go back around to John. Give us the next entry on your Matt Rushmore LTV couples. Sure. And this one kind of, you know, plays to uh, another entry that we have on the Place to Be Shine Fest, or actually just from, uh, I guess it's now the No So Feed, and then now to the No So Feed. And I'm going to go to my teen melodrama roots 
and I'm going to go to 902-0. And while Brenda and Dylan is the big couple that everybody saw for those first three seasons and you would know of, to me, the couple that uh, you think that I think of that stands out from that that series is Brandon and Kelly. And they're not even my favorite coupling. But if I was going to put a couple main couple from 902-0 on there, it would be Brandon and Kelly. Uh, Brandon and Kelly are a couple that that really they come together, not an original pairing and not one that you would think would match up with each other. Uh, they're obviously paired off with other people early on and then get paired off in the middle of the season. Uh, but the fact that they come back together works. Uh, Brandon starts out really kind of pushing Kelly away at first. He says she's you know too much like a sister to him. They wouldn't be together. But they find shared interests you know through her you know pretending to be his date to you know a chancellor's ball when he's getting into politics. It's however they come together. It eventually shows that they are they are meant for each other. And then, of course, they go through all of the trials and tribulations that you would love for any regular TV melodrama couple. Uh, Kelly being in a fire, Kelly joining a cult, uh, Kelly becoming addicted to cocaine, being shot, having amnesia. A lot of these things happen. Brandon cheating on her. But it always brings them back together. Uh, What I appreciate most about this couple is their kind of, you know, centering uh, strength of the show that everybody, every other character would have something going on, but Brandon and Kelly were living at the Walsh house and they were kind of the, the mom and dad of the group after, after Brand, Jim and Cindy left town and left the kids uh, to run things. I also appreciate, you know, similarly to my other couple that this is a couple that recognized it wasn't meant to be. And though they had a wedding they called it off in the middle of the wedding and said, you know what, we we do love each other, we do care about each other, but this is not meant to be. So they're a couple that kind of grew together uh, and grew together in order to be able to see each other apart and be happy with that. So it's a it's a coupling that spread through high school, or not through high school, through college, through grad school, and then their professional lives, and then to kind of just make each other better and ultimately be happy and without each other so brandon and kelly of all the 90210 couples unfortunately would be the most i guess kind of stable one i would put on there mm-hmm. yeah definitely and uh i know we can all uh, we basically can all live the um the re the reliving of a 90210 through um through 90210 so uh they do a great job over there jt and uh and tim um, so I will definitely just because I didn't watch a ton of the show when I was growing up because it was a little too old for me. Uh, I just um, I definitely will leave it to them. Um, Grooney, do you have anything to say about uh, Brandon and Kelly? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I um, I enjoy them, you know, but I feel that their relationship was like a little messy at times, especially with Dylan around, you know, like, because if you go back to season five, the, um, the one, the, the season finale of, uh, season five, it's when, uh, Andrea leaves and they're in the parking lot and, uh, you know, she turns down both, uh, she turns down the engagement ring of Brandon's and she also turns down, uh, Dylan's, um, 
Dylan's uh, trip around the world. And she's like, I choose me. And then, you know, like she goes out with uh, Colin, like starting in, uh, I believe it was season six, you know, <laughs> and like, it's just a, there were so many like loops in that relationship. It was like, do you guys really belong to each other? Or is it just like one mess after another? It's like all the, tragedies too like you know kelly getting shot like i remember watching all those episodes like the <laughs> fire and how you know brendan wasn't brandon wasn't there for her you know he was off of emily valentine and just all this nonsense you know it's like did you guys really belong to each other you know that's how i but grooney that's i think and grooney that's what i think when i mentioned of the tv couples that's what uh i don't know kind of draws me is the messiness of these tv couples that there is so much like ah oh, that keeps them apart and they eventually are getting back together but then only to be torn apart by something stupid brandon does again but then appear amazingly brandon appears as a german man older ver german version of himself selling a ring at a jewelry store that they're going to you know get engaged with it all is just drama 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 with brandon and kelly and that's you can't beat that in a couple i also find it funny when uh brandon brandon's girlfriend at the time um felt was it like tracy i think found the ring and thought it was hers yeah. and it's the one that brandon gave kelly <laughs> yep <laughs> well it's definitely um <laughs> You know, that's why it still goes down as one of the greatest shows of all time. So for, just for the drama like that. Um, Keith, do you have anything else to say about Brandon and Kelly? I mean, this was this show again. This was a little bit before my time. Um, I mean, I was still, you know, this aired in 1990. I was still kind of a young I was a young pup at that point. But I will say that um, having gone back and like rewatched certain things and not the whole se series, I've never watched the whole series in NO2 and O, but I will say that. A lot of what I felt their relationship was throughout the course of the show is really what a teenager would think their relationship is with like their boyfriend or girlfriend. It's just a just that whole over drama, just that everything is just like this is the greatest night of our lives, you know, like that kind of thing when you're in high school and even when you're young and in college, it's like, all right, easy does it now. So, I mean. I know that the the soap opera was it was a real soap opera, like over the top kind of Aaron Spelling over the top thing. But um, I always take those, you know, that Melrose Place, uh, I guess, if you want to say the new 90210 that was on, it's you have to take them where it's almost like this is what a teenager's interpretation of how dramatic their life is. And that's why it's so friggin goofy. Mm -hmm. It's the complete antithesis of what you expect in like Boy Meets World or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So. But I will say that out of all the females, like regulars on that show, I think Jenny Garth has kept it the best. Like she still looks beautiful, like to this day. Um, whereas some of them, like I think like Tori Spelling's messed up her face. Like I think she's, you know, she's done way too much, you know, plastic surgery and stuff like that. I mean, Tiffany Amethyst's still hot, but I mean Shannon Doherty, I don't think was ever, I never really considered Shannon Doherty like wicked hot, you know, she was always, she always just had like resting bitch face, but, uh, you know, I think Jenny Garth still looks fantastic, so kudos but to Keith, Jenny. Ga I mean, Keith, Gabrielle Carteris looks as old as she did when she was on the show. So I, honestly, I guess so. that's a compliment, right? No, so <laughs> <laughs> she looks, six, she is 62 and she looks 62, so I guess. Yeah. 
Like that? She's got that working. She she sure does. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, go back to Grooney. Uh, give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of TV couples. Well, gentlemen, I am going to stick with Beverly Hills 90210, actually. John, I thought when when you said this, I thought you were going with this couple, and you kicked me right in the nuts because you low-blowed me with who you said. And I'm going the opposite, John. I'm going with David Silver and Donna Martin from Beverly Hills 90210. Well, you know, like they're they're the couple that really like, you know, stayed together and they got married. But it's like if you go back to like all the seasons, you know, like Donna, David, David is always around for Donna and vice versa. You know, when Donna caught her mom cheating in the hotel, you know, David was there to be supportive when um, when. During like uh, Donna's time with Ray, um, when they had to find David's uh, mom in Oregon, Donna was there like searching with David to find his mother, you know. So they went through a lot of tragedies together of like, you know, the parents and, uh, you know, like just everything. David cheating on David cheating on Donna a couple of times, like. David, you know, blowing his money and like forging checks and stuff, you know, a lot of breakups, you know, and then they go through um, them doing it the first time, you know, because Donna said she was going to wait until, you know, she got married, but uh, she broke that sort of promise to herself and, uh, you know, did it earlier when they weren't married, but through everything, you know, they got married and, you know, and it was a happy ending, I think, and they belonged together. So that is why David and Donna have my spot. Right. It didn't hurt that one of them was the producer's daughter, you know, at all. When does that ever hurt anybody? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who said nepotism was that de- was dead in the show business? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Keith, do you have anything else to say about David and Donna? Um, no. I mean, insert previous statement. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same exact thing. It's just, it's just friggin' goofiness. I mean, I just, the only thing I could say is I remember we worked with a girl, we worked with a woman named Donna Martin, and I don't know, every once in a while we would all break into the Donna Martin graduates. (laughs) (laughs) A great, yeah, Yeah, classic. I think it's just the show itself of like all like the the moments, you know, if you grew up watching the show or like me, you just crash course and you're like, oh, man, this is like really a really great show. So, you know, mm-hmm. like that's why I just was just like, you know, they deserve it because, you know, they were the ones who like came back together. So that's just me. Grudy, I'm, I'm with you. I understand, you know, they're the ones who came back together. And yes, they're the ones we end with. In that show, you know, the final episode is their wedding, which for mm-hmm. some reason, which for some reason, Mrs. Teasley, the guidance counselor, was invited to Donna's bachelorette party. But we don't need to get into that. That's like an odd decision. But it, but there's also this kind of feeling of diminished returns almost with them. And 
to the point where we had these great romances, these great couplings of Brenda and Brenda and Dylan, which is so powerful. Dylan and Ke- Dylan and Kelly, Brandon and Kelly, and then it's like, well, who do we have left at the end to just come back to? We need somebody to get married. I guess well, Donna and David still work here. Let's let let's put them out there, out there. Uh, there when they were together, I think they had some great storylines. I th- you know you mentioned. But David's wandering eye was always going to lead him astray in some ways. We saw him get together with Ariel uh, while he was mm-hmm. playing for Babyface. I love that Donna's mom. Oh, yeah, Donna's Donna mom had right. so many different reasons to d- dislike David over time. First, I think it was uh, she didn't like that he was Jewish. She then didn't like that he was poor, and she didn't like that he was crazy. So there were like, multiple reasons that it always got in the way. We needed to bring up some. New reason Donna's mom wouldn't appreciate approve of David, but you know kudos to them for sticking it out and for you know eventually coming together in the wedding we did deserve to end 90210. So yeah, Donna and David, as far as 90210 Rushmore couples would definitely be up there, uh, but not on my all time TV couples. Mhm. Okay. Well, let's uh, go back around to Keith. Uh, give us the next entry on your Matt Rushmore of TV couples. Um, I'm going to go with kind of a recent couple, a recent couple here, and uh, that would be uh, the couple of Kim Wexler and Jimmy Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman, and that would be from, of course, Better Call Better Call Saul. Excuse me, I got the hiccups for some reason. Um, this is as far as like recent couples go, they're fantastic. They're unbelievable. I mean, they get together kind of oddly. Like it was, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like an unrequited love thing or whatever. Like they had worked together. They had known each other for a long time. And then like all of a sudden, like Kim just kind of falls into, into Jimmy's arms and she's like, she falls in love with him and everything. And then she starts getting in to like the slipping Jimmy style of uh, perform, you know, pr- practicing law where she's willing to be a little bit uh, duplicate. Um, duplicitous in order to get like what she wants and then oh geez excuse me and then of course she just bombards when like it starts getting real deep with the whole thing about uh making sure that they they fuck over their former boss and everything i mean it's just it's amazing and then um for those for those who haven't who have seen the whole show she shows up in the very end and it's just an amazing kind of reconciliation between two people who she brings out Again, she brings out the best in Saul. You know, she really brings out the Jimmy McGill in Saul Goodman. And I can kind of leave it at that. I don't know if everybody, I don't know if anybody else here watched. I mean, I watched Better Call Saul as attentively as I wa- attentively as I, I watched Breaking Bad. And I loved Kim and Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, this was um, another show I've always kind of had a somewhat of an interest in like this. And obviously, you know, Breaking Bad, um, but just because I'm where I live, I don't have cable, so I ha- don't have AMC, so I haven't been able to watch either show. Um, but again, it's another one that is kind of on my radar of one I definitely want to go back and check out at some point. Um, but John, do you have anything else to say about uh, J- Kim and Jimmy slash Saul? Unfortunately, no, Keith. I mean, of all the of all the shows that I'm excited to watch moving forward, uh, Better Call Saul is on there, and I'm glad that it's wrapped in all the criticism I read of it. Uh, speaks so highly of this relationship i you know trust both actors uh with this and really look forward to seeing what they have and keith your opinion of it you know just makes me more excited for to, to mm, check it out mm. james 
unfortunately for me as well, no, I do not um, have anything to say about uh, the couple from Better Call Saul at all. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I mean, we all have that one pick. That I've been, on that I've been there, Keith. Keith, I've been there on these rush hours. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's funny. I mean, like I I I thought everybody watched. I thought everybody watched um, Better Call Saul. You know, because everybody watched Breaking Bad. You know, and I will say that um, Rhea Seahorn, who who plays Kim Wexler, I mean, she really hadn't. Like she, I don't know if she's done a ton of stuff like prior to. I know she was in, um, she was in the TV show that, uh, uh, what was it? It was the show that um, Whitney Cummings had made, and it, she was actually really funny in that. And then like, but this was like I think her big first real breakout performance, and she's amazing. Like I, she's kind of one of those people that I want them to cast her in everything because she's that friggin' good, you know. She's an amazing, amazing actress. So kudos to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, we all every, we all have that one pick that, uh, you know, we we not, might not all see eye to eye on for one no, no, I mean, another, it's, but it's because it's because none of you watch the show. <laughs> yeah, Keith, I thought everyone watched Beverly Hills 90210. Well, I mean, dude, when I was <laughs> when I was 11 years old, when the show came out, my mother wasn't going to let me watch a show about teens having sex. Oh, it was toilet humor, right, well, Keith? Of course, course, she didn't know that I was already <laughs> watching she shows. Watched Donna Martin episodes then. <laughs> 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 Uh, all right, well, let's uh, go back to John. Uh, give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of TV couples. Sure. Uh, of all the couples I have, this is probably the one that had most reasons not to stay together, but are the only one that were together at the end of the series. And, Keith, this might be one that meets with as as much response as uh, as Better Call Saul. And I'm going with, uh, with Philip and Elizabeth Jennings from The Americans. Uh, <laughs> See, I watched that. See, I watched that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a there's is a, a is a coupling that comes together, you know, not by choice at first. Obviously, they're paired up by by the Soviet state, you know, and they're bred to be be perfect at their spycraft at what they do, and to you know be be family member, be a, a couple in America and, you know, infiltrating different parts of, of the U.S. government and, you know, uh, granting, finding secrets there. They obviously are sleeping around on each other, but that's for the purpose of their jobs of being spies. Uh, I think at the same time, there's an intimacy that they have with each other that you can see that they really do trust each other and care about each other because they, their experience is something that only they know about, you know, only Stan knows about what Elizabeth is going through because he's doing the same. Nobody else can relate to that. And in later seasons, uh, they grow even closer together, even though they're doing things apart from each other, they're working together much less, but I feel their relationship and their, their, uh, their coupling grows even stronger. There's a really powerful scene in one of the later seasons, I want to say season four, where they actually go and get officially married at a uh, Russian, you know, Russian language church with a priest secretively away from any of their handlers to know or the government to know because it's a recommitment to each other. Uh, their commitment is not just to each other, obviously, but it's to their cause and to their children. 
and that is so strong that it you know keeps them together despite having to kill people <laughs> having to <laughs> to you know break up families having to uh you know cause cause harm to other government entities or anything despite all of that they are there to support each other and they're they do get a somewhat of a happy ending i guess in that they leave the country together and are going to be together forever so that's you can see it as happy for them even though they lose their children ultimately but their theirs is a uh, a relationship that will that will last on and will uh will keep them together and keep them strong mm-hmm. yeah this is a, again another show that i might have only you know caught a few glances at it's another one that uh, that i've always it's always kind of been a keen for interest for me just because of the topic nature of it um it's a great show steve it's a great show right yeah that's yeah that's all that's what i've always heard so it's another show that i think i, I want to try to some point get to um get around to, to seeing it but um Grooney, do you have anything else to say about philip and elizabeth jennings uh no um i'll have to uh watch this show as well i have a lot of uh television homework to do <laughs> uh, keith I mean, the only thing that stinks is that it's on Hulu, so you got to watch, unless you pay extra, you got to watch commercials. But, uh, no, this is great. I mean, Kerry Russell went from Felicity. She did a few things, you know, to kind of break out of that Felicity role, but then she went and did this, like, total tour de force. And then, honestly, <laughs> I felt, I didn't know for, like, the first three seasons that the guy that played Philip Matthew Reese was was English. I really thought he was Russian because <laughs> he's so he kind of looks and plays such a believable Russian guy. It's amazing. So um no, I mean this show this show was great. I I I kind I actually didn't watch like the last season of it, so I'm glad to know that they kind of ended together and happy. Like that's that meant that means a lot now that I know that. And I mean it, it makes me want to go back and watch like the final season of it. Um. I think it just ended up. Did they they moved it around a little bit on FX, right? Like it was like they moved around like on days and stuff like that. And I think it just ended yeah, up being one of was, those things. It, that, it's one of those that was victims to like its time slot being changed or like stacking up seasons right next to each other. Yeah, like taking big gaps where you're yeah. like, I don't know yeah. if this show's coming back or not. You know? Yeah, and that 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 and when that happens to me, a lot of times, like it's like I forget to watch a show, and if I, you know, in and then the next thing you know, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Now I got to watch it on a man. I don't want to watch it on a man. So, uh, but no, I mean, I'm. This was, yeah, this was another great show. They were an excellent couple. I mean, that whole show in general was great altogether. I mean, just the the character actors that they had in there. Um, Margot Martindale was fantastic in that. I mean, Noah Emmerich's fantastic. I mean, the, yeah, the show just was constantly a, an amazing hit. So, um, yeah, you guys should definitely check it out. I mean, that's. That's a great show to watch. It's a good it's a good watch too cuz it's like fun. Every episode's fun, you know. Mhm. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely try to check it out. Um all right, well Gurney, you have one entry left on your Mount Rushmore, so why don't you go ahead and give it to us? So I was thinking of um you know, what couples do I remember uh watching and uh you know growing up with and uh you know uh as the story progressed and this one um this one i thought uh, really took the cake for me while some even though they weren't a couple some might say you know kevin arnold and winnie cooper you know and all that um i went with uh eric 
Foreman and Donna Pinciotti Ooh. from that 70s show. They they are the definition of just being friends for the first couple of seasons. Like I think like season two or like even season three, you know, uh, Donna finally admits that, hey, you know, I really like you. Like, and then that's where like it really, you know, starts off. And then, um, you know, Eric, um, Eric breaks it off because, you know, uh, the whole promise ring and everything, you know, and then Eric goes into a depression. Donna surprisingly dates Casey Kelso. And then after uh, they break up, she goes, um, she runs away to California because Eric says to her, I'm not going to be your rebound. So she goes to California and then Eric ends up going to California to chase after her. Like, um, like, uh, John said with Brandon and Kelly, you know, Eric and Donna were supposed to get married as well, but then they break, well, Eric breaks it off at the last minute to go to Africa and, um, Eric returns from Africa uh, during the series finale. And while it didn't really say if they were back together or not, you could tell like, oh, I think Eric and Don are going to get back together. And, uh, you know, that's a couple that, you know, despite trial and error and, you know, leaving each other, they ended up actually coming back together and they, According to that '90s show, they get married and they have a uh, they have a daughter as well. So uh, Eric and Donna make my uh, Mount Rushmore here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a. Uh, I remember. I do remember when the show was at its um its its peak in the late '90s, and I caught you know a few episodes here and there. Never really um piqued my my interest totally. Um but I do know that it was, you know, really um popular in the late nineties and I know this um that those two characters, Eric and Donna, were definitely um some of the most popular characters on that show. So um I'll definitely take your word for that uh, for that, James. Um Keith, do you have anything else to say about Eric and Donna? Uh I mean Eric Foreman he became Venom because of how popular he was on on that seventies show. Uh <laughs> No, they were, I mean, they were, that show was, it, it was, it was okay. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but uh, no, I mean, they were a good couple and um, I, it was, oh, it was good. I think there was a lot more fun with when they would have, you know, different um, escapades that would pop up. Like when Donna's mother's underwear was in Eric's car, things like that. That was always more fun, I think, but good pick nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John. Yeah, it was a couple that I think that first season, I remember watching it when it came out of that 70s show, it felt like the writers or the showrunners were kind of under the impression we're not getting renewed. So they just tried to fit everything into that first season. And so the relationship with Donna and Eric, uh, you know, progressed really quickly. We got the prom episode. We got the Star Wars episode. We got all of that like in in the first season. And then. I appreciated, like you said, uh, Gurney, that it was in those second and third seasons when they finally they they actually took their time and uh, dug a little deeper into into them caring for each other and into what their relationship was. They became a more uh, a more distinct couple, uh, and I thought that was that was great. I kind of fell off and didn't watch the later seasons when a lot of the actors left. I think what did we have left the 
Eric's sister and and <laughs> and Danny Masterson left as far as actors to to go at the end. And but I'm glad to see that they they did something with them. And now obviously they're working with them coming back in that 90s show. I guess. Yeah. Laura Prepon was somebody who you could have told me from that first season of that 70s show. Well, she's definitely going to you know act in as like the best friend in in a series of romantic comedies from here on out, or like the you know the, that side character, and never really caught on for some reason. And so I'm glad that she's got another franchise back with that 90s show here. Well, she was huge in um, uh, Orange Is the New Black, and she's in oh, that. Okay. Like, that's she's in that for like the majority of of that show's run and she's pretty good in that. I mean, yeah, she's kind of an interesting, she's an interesting actress. I think, uh, she, she definitely seems way older than, well, she's 42 now, but like she seemed way older than she was. So, mm-hmm. and maybe that's just cause she had that deep, deep voice, but, uh, I mean, you know, beautiful woman and just, uh, you know, hell of an actress and everything like that. But yeah, she never had that breakout. I don't know if anybody aside from, I mean, I guess you could say Mila Kunis kind of had a big break from that show and maybe Ashton Kutcher. But like, I think I think the rest of them, even Ashton Kutcher, like, I mean, yeah, he was on Two and a Half Men, but he kind of had like moderate success. I think that he's more known for having married Demi Moore, I feel like. And but I mean, Topher Grace had moderate success. Danny Masterson's a piece of shit and rightfully so, I think, you know, and uh, I mean, you know, but I think like probably. It's funny for a show that was as big as it was, none of them really hit like mega star status except for, like I said, Mila Kunis. You know, she had a couple of huge hit movies and stuff. That's one that truly went that kind of happy days route of uh, yeah, <laughs> with where towards the end the parents and even in the reboot now the parents are the the characters just as <laughs> right. Tom Bosley. And, <laughs> yeah, I know Ron Ron Howard did so well he ended up going into directing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Henry Winkler had to go into Adam Sandler movies. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, Keith, you have one that's really left on your Mount Rushmore, so why don't you go ahead and give it to us? I do. And to go along with uh, kind of what Grooney was talking about, shows that he grew up on, this is a show I grew up on. And uh, by the time I had watched it, it was already in syndication. And uh, it really consisted of um, there was once a man who was raising three boys all on his own. And then one day he met a lovely lady with three girls of her own. And that, of course, is Carolyn Mike Brady. Uh, What's to say about Carolyn Mike Brady that is the most wholesome uh, step family in America of all time? I, I mean, it was. It was they were such a good family unit. You did you forgot that they were freaking two people that were like from I guess two widows that like met up and had like three kids that they joined together. I mean, that's how much like you you literally thought that Carol Brady was the mother of, you know, Bobby and uh Greg and uh Peter. I it, it was just it was ridiculous. And I mean, that show had everything. It had a unisex bathroom. It had Carol and Mike in the bed all the time. I mean, you know, God only knows what Alice was doing with the butcher Sam. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, <laughs> I was a big fan of the Brady's, the Brady bunch, so much in fact that when I went to California last week, I drove out to the Brady house and just saw 
it's just the facade of the front of the house. It's not a real, you know, it's not, it's a real person's house, but it's not where they film the show. But I went and I said, look at, it's the Brady house. And I go, there's no way that that's a second floor house. That's definitely just a ranch. <laughs> and it's like, how did they can try to convince us that that had two floors and an attic? But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Carol and Mike, they loved each other from the first episode all the way through to the last episode. And then during all the spinoffs, the Brady daughter's wedding, the Brady's come back for Christmas, uh, the Brady's deal with the housing crisis, whatever the whatever the spinoffs were in the sequels. Excellent, excellent television family. Uh, Carol and Mike Brady. R.I.P. to both of them. Mm-hmm. Actually, wait, is Florence Henderson dead? <laughs> I think she just died. Yeah. No, she's yeah, she's uh, no, she passed away in uh, 2016. Okay, she's been gone for yeah, she's been gone for a few years now. But um, but yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, this um, they were really good as a as a couple, and like you said, you know, they they made it an interesting note to make sure that, you know, even though they were both widowed and essentially the the kids were in essence, you know, step kids that, that they weren't, you know, just stepchildren. They were children, you know, they were all a big family and mm-hmm. um, they, you know, they grew up like that and they really um, made that a good point throughout the, uh, throughout all the years that they were on the air. And um, I mean, for a while there, you could argue that they were, um, that Mike and Carol were the first couple of TV at that at the, in the uh, early seventies. Oh, sure. So, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think they definitely, um, deserved a mention here as, um, as being worthy for being on a Mount Rushmore. Um, John, do you have anything else to say about Mike and Carol? I mean, as wholesome as it gets, right. You can't, mm-hmm. you, you imagine what we would see now if we, if the Brady bunch was brought up to us today, we would have more plots revolving around, uh, Mike and Carol, you know, having doubts about each other or, uh, you know, not trusting each other at times. But they were never projected as ever seeing any fault in the, in the other. They mm-hmm. both uh, were just always, always loving and caring and supportive and, you know, working together to raise to raise those kids. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just as a, yeah, per, you know, just. Painted together, painted for us as that, as a, as what mom and dad, even though they're second moms and second dad, and so in these cases, uh, can be, and yeah, that's that's the picture of an American family, even though it was a mixed family. Mhm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Grooney. Uh, yeah, they are the definition of um, of what it takes for you know the uh, coming together of two families and how, you know, Mike brings the three boys and uh, Carol brings the three girls. And, uh, you know, it took a, it took a while for them to uh, get everything settled in, but it all worked out in the end and uh, they became one big happy family and uh, Mike and Carol, they, uh, you know, they uh, stood the test of time, you know, through everything, you know, from, Greg smoking and uh, Peter uh, playing <laughs> Peter playing ball in the house, you know, and breaking the lamp. <laughs> Joe, you know? Joe Namath coming over to hang yeah. out for a little bit. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, um, were they the Were they the first co- co- TV couple to be sleeping in the same bed together? I think they were. I don't know if they were or not, but uh, I thought it was a close one. I I would think that they were. Yeah, I mean, maybe real life. I don't know if the Flintstones had two beds, but 
I think Archie and Edith had two beds still. I know. Uh, I know that. Um, that's that's funny. I'm Barry saying Archie and, and Edith. Yeah. yeah, those were like honorable mentions. Archie and Edith, and I would also say Ricky and Lucy. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they might have been actually. Oh yeah. Hmm. That's a total okay, Bruni. Like, like that's if, a, if they, if they, you've mentioned them being parents and just always being accepted by the kids. If they did the Brady Bunch these days, you would have Jan would be running off like pining for her former mother or like lo- you oh, know yeah. looking for her, her old memories of that or anything. Like there, there would be so much of that drawn in. And Brady Bunch didn't care. Sherwood Schwartz was like, screw it. This is just the happiest group of people ever, except when. They <laughs> <smoke>. <laughs> you know, yeah. All right, well, John, you're the only one that has any uh, couple left on your Mount Rushmore, so why don't you go ahead and give us our, give us your last pick? Am I really? Oh, okay, yeah. I guess I didn't get into it. Uh, my final pick for TV couples uh, it goes back to comedy, and we'll go into the NBC comedies uh, where Keith was with Parks and Rec. And uh, before Parks and Rec came on, there was 30 Rock, and Liz Lemon, our main character, had so many different bows throughout time, but my absolute favorite that was recurring and would come back and they would be on again, off again. Has to be the Beaver King, Dennis Duffy. Uh, Liz and, and Dennis Duffy as a couple were something something that worked, but then uh, would fall apart within within the span of an episode every time without fail. I loved in, um, I think, his second appearance, she's eating uh, the Sabor de Soledad tortilla chips. And uh, and Jenna says to her, she's like, he's just like those off-brand tortilla chips that you eat. And but, but, but that's perfect. You know, that's what sometimes we're drawn to is this, like, I, I don't know. I know they're bad for me, but I still am going to go back. Uh, every interaction they have, I think, is hilarious. Uh, but they do obviously care for each other. The fact that they're when they first kind of fall for each other is when they're watching the hours and they have the same sense of humor, thinking it's such a boring film, as it says. This movie should be called The Weeks. Uh, Dennis is just obliviousness to what Liz needs, but she kind of just sees it as charming (laughs) at times and sees him as safe. I like that uh, despite those flaws, she still comes back to him and that they effortlessly when he comes back they're going to fall for each other at some point that episode even though you know he's gonna go away it's a coupling that never really overstays its welcome but then ultimately like is happy at the end because even when liz is getting married dennis is there as one of the witnesses uh to be there and has some even more great lines so for the fact of all the all the laughs they have and just like one-off jokes that we see throughout their their few episodes together uh liz and the beeper king are my last couple for mount rushmore (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah this is um again another show like like uh, parks and rec and a few others we've talked about that is on my kind of viewing list because i know it was such a a big show when it was out in the the late 2000s and uh, i know tina fey is obviously fantastic in it and it's got a great cast so definitely one that i definitely uh, again another one i want to kind of go back and uh, revisit here um Gurney, do you have anything else to say about liz and dennis uh, no sadly this is another show i have to watch you know <laughs> uh, makes makes you makes you 
you know, this is this is one of the reasons why it feels like 24 hours in a day feels so little just because there's so just because of so much stuff to, that you want to get to. So I, I feel the pain there. Um, Keith, I, I mean, the fact that the fact that Chuck's calling him the Beeper King is killing me. And you're referring to him as that. I love it. Um, no, Dennis Duffy was the balls. I mean, the, uh, when you said 30 Rock for a heartbeat, I thought you were going to say Liz Lemon and Jack just because of that one time where they actually did get married. And I was like, oh, my God, that would have been so good. But, no, Dennis Duffy is fantastic. He's so he's so good. And it's is the episode where – is that the – where she talks about the off-brand chips? Is that the one where Liz starts talking like him and she's – it's because there's, like, um, bull semen in the tortilla chips? Is that that yeah. one? Or is, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. And she thinks she's pregnant because she was yeah. eating all the chips with the bull semen in them. The off-brand Mexican it, it, tortilla chips. Like I said, chips. they just – Dean Winter, Dean Winters owns like every scene that he's in with them. Where they're yeah. they're at a fancy restaurant and he's wearing the clip-on tie. He's like, oh, there's there's you know, the average person eats 17 pounds of rat feces, eat rat crap each year. You know that? Like there's rats in this room. Like, <laughs> love him, love him. Yeah, he no, a, Dean Winters. Special, he has a special dietary restriction. He can't eat fish unless it's deep fried. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's he owns everything he's in. When he shows up, I mean, he when he show he's in. Uh, He's in a few episodes of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine as the Vulture, and he's so good in that, too. I mean, he's so good as an actor. So, yeah, another great pick. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And with that, that will wrap up all of our uh, Mount Rushmore's. But we will now go ahead and talk about any honorable mentions that we haven't uh, brought up. So, uh, Keith, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to bring up? Um, I mean, I'm actually really glad that nobody said Jim and Pam from uh, The Office, and that's because I believe that is a very uh, caustic relationship, and I don't like it. And I was, and that's where I was going to say, like, if anybody brought up the other, uh, the other relationship <laughs> when it comes to, uh, I was going to go, I was going to rip it up because I just, I do not like that relationship. I never have, and I think that a lot of people use that as a. Uh, Oh, that's such a great television relationship. No, I think it sucks. Um, I did say Archie and Edith Bunker. I think that that's just a great honorable mention, uh, mostly for the mostly for the episode. And it's in I don't think it's it's in Archie's place. It's not in um, it's not in the first show. It's in the spinoff where Edith dies. And it's Carol Connor. It, it plays grief so phenomenal in that. I mean, it's. If you if you if you've never seen it, just go to YouTube and check it out. I mean, it's amazing how he plays like the grief of dealing with the death of his wife, Edith. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, forget about how him and her and their interaction in the episode where she's almost raped. I mean, there's just so many different things that happen between the two of them that uh, was real, real. You know, like you felt it as much as you felt the, the characters feeling it. Um, I think Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. That's another honorable mention is like a kind of like an endearing couple. Uh, they got on each other's nerves. <laughs> Lucy always more on Ricky's nerves than the other way around. But yeah, still, I mean, just great couple, great couple altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned like Lucy and, Ricard- and Ricky, because I, I mean, you could argue that they were really TV's first couple. Yeah. Um, I mean, because, you know, they were one of the first ones when uh, when TV really kind of got going in the the 50s Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think they definitely deserve some love um john do you have any other honorable mentions that we haven't met that we haven't talked about 
side on with Archie and Edith, absolutely. And Keith, I'm with you. I would have gone against Jim and Pam. Uh, oh, nice. I think that I think their British pairing of uh, Tim and Dawn is a far better couple. Oh, and better far, actors too. <laughs> better actors, and yeah, the, their love story is much more is much better. It's it's crazy. I feel like you're right. The, the amount of people you see who will be like, oh, we're just like Jim and Pam, and like they aspire. They're like, we should, you know, I wish we could have their type of love story. I'm like, why? That's really, really ugly at times. It is an ugly <laughs> love story, yeah. Uh, my only other one that I had on here, uh, if, as Keith, I think you mentioned, if somebody had said Kevin Arnold and Winnie Cooper, you were going to mm. jump on them. And I would have, because to me, the better coupling in there was Kevin Arnold and Becky Slater, played by mm. Dana McKellar's sister. But only of two episode or three episodes arc that they had, Kevin and Becky. But, uh, you know, just much more, a much spicier relationship. And mm-hmm. to me, much more, much more appealing than bland, boring Winnie the whole time. <laughs> bland, boring Winnie. <laughs> uh, Gurney, did you have any other honorable mentions we haven't talked about? Uh, yeah, if I can throw one out there, I would say um, Dan and Roseanne Connor. Uh, from the Roseanne show, they were a they were a very good couple. You know, they've had to deal with uh, some hardship. You know, being from uh, Lanford, being living in Lanford, Illinois, is no picnic. You know, they're on like the uh, lower side of the uh, the income. You know, but they also they they always uh, knew how to like pull together for the for for the most part. Uh, they. Um, they, you know, they kept the house in order. They took care of the kids. Um, they, they kept down their, uh, they kept their jobs down. You know, uh, Roseanne uh, leaving the uh, plastic factory. She goes in. She becomes like a waitress. And then, you know, Dan, uh, Dan opens up the bike shop that falls apart uh, towards the end. But uh, you know, they, they learn to. Uh, stick it out and uh you know uh enjoy the good times you know and enjoy the good laughs mm-hmm. yeah that's definitely another good one um a couple other ones i kind of thought about um even though we um homer and marge were the only animated tv couple we had um i think fred and wilma flintstone deserve mm-hmm. some recognition as well mm-hmm. um I know we kind of we kind of discussed this when we, when I first brought up the topics. We discussed if um, Jerry and Elaine from Seinfeld counted um, as a couple. Um, I know some would probably um, would probably say that they do. Um, speaking of '90s couples, obviously a lot of people would think about Ross and Rachel from Friends mm-hmm. um, was another one, and also one of the probably one of the more uh, pretentious, uh, contentious couples, um, Alan Peggy Bundy from Maggie, Married with Children. Um, I think that's um, one a lot of people would probably say. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up. I'm glad you brought up Alan Peggy, uh, just because I think that I, I think that at it, when push came to shove, you saw the love between the two of them, but it, that love very quickly evaporated and turned back into hate. So that you would <laughs> you would see love. So I'm glad you brought them up. Thank you. Right, and then last one, going back to the uh, going back to. TGI, my TGIF love from uh, Full House. You had Uncle Jesse and uh, Rebecca Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and then and also even you had um, DJ and uh, Steve, who saw mm. their um, their relationship rekindle in Fuller House. So, mm. um, you had to. I figured that, that they deserved a mention as well. So, 
All right, well, with that, that will bring an end to our uh, first half here. We talked a lot of uh, great TV couples, but we're now going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to switch from the small screen to the silver to the silver screen as we discuss some of our favorite movie couples. Uh, this is, of course, Mickey and Mount Rushmore here on the PTB Pop Experience, and we will be back on the other side of this break. That's the way we all became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. back on making matt rushmore here on the ptb pop experience i am your host slash moderator steve riddle i'm here with james john and keith as we are discussing some of our favorite uh, couples uh being that it is of course the month of february we st- talked about some of our favorite tv couples in the first half of the show and now here for the second half as i said we are transitioning from the small screen to the big screen as we are now going to discuss some of our favorite movie couples um, these are couples, of course, we have seen um, go through either either one movie or go through a series of films, um, growing their love and just um, becoming some of our favorites of all time. And for this half, we are going to go ahead and start with Grooney. Uh, give us the first entry on your Mount Rushmore of movie couples. So for mine, um, I, I saw this couple as we were talking about, you know, the Sim- the Simpsons. You know, I, I've talked about, you know, uh, I've talked about this couple, like, they might be like the real live action Simpson couple, but not really. But I'm talking about Clark and Ellen Griswold from uh, the National Lampoon movies. Clark is a, a simpleton here. And, you know, Ellen just goes along with everything that Clark does, you know. Clark goes insane on all these uh, trips and Ellen is just there along for the ride. You know, they, they really have like stayed together through everything that, uh, you know, whether it's like Clark's fault or, you know, it's, uh, you know, like the kids are in trouble or something. Clark uh, spends like $3,000 at the, in, at the casino or, you know, he loses the luggage or, you know, the tires get popped off, you know, or he takes a uh, police officer, a security guard hostage uh, during an amusement park. Ellen is just along for the ride, but she supports her husband in any way, even if he is very, very insane, you know, you know, and uh, what really leads it up to it is like, you know, at, um, at the Christmas vacation where, you know, Clark uh, finally goes off on his boss and then, you know, he gets the bonus and then, you know, they get to have like this like Merry Christmas, like the happiest of Christmas. So for uh, the movie, for my first movie couple, I picked uh, Clark and Ellen Griswold from uh, National Lampoon Movies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I agree. They are such a great couple. Um, like you said, Ellen just puts up with so much of Clark's crap, you know, from them, you know, traveling across the country to go to Wally World and to their exploits over in Europe and Vegas. And even down to the fact that Clark just wants to have the perfect Christmas for his family. And she just, you know, for all for all his mishaps and all his nonsense, she sticks with him every step of the way. And I'll tell you, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo have such great chemistry together as Clark and Ellen. Um, they really just bring those characters um, to life in a, such a wonderful way between those um, those films. And even with um, their brief appearance in the um, the 2015 rebooted uh, Vacation, um, they, they just do such a great job. And I'm glad and I know that, um, you know, we've seen throughout all the Vacation films that a lot of the characters all take, you know, have different actors and actresses. I'm glad that... Um, that these two are the ones that stay constant, that it's always um, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, because I don't think anyone else could have played those characters Mm -hmm. um, as well as they had. And um, Keith, you had Clark and Ellen on your Mount Rushmore as well. I did. Yes. And Gruny, excellent pick. Great minds. Think alike, my friend. Uh, (laughs) I I, I will say that, I mean, let's not, let's not also forget Clark in the first movie has an obsession with Christy Brinkley. Then he ends up skinny dipping with his wife in the pool um, in the second movie, he videotapes her in the shower and then the camera gets stolen and everybody ends up in Italy seeing the tape of her in the shower. Uh, no, well, the only thing that really happens in the, that's kind of like, you know, scandalous in the third one is when the police break in at the end, she's holding her hand on on Clark's crotch. And then when she goes to <laughs> shake the hand of the wife, she puts the hand back on his crotch. And I always thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> And then in the Vegas vacation, she falls in love with Wayne Newton and Clark has to go to the rescue. Um, and he lost twenty two thousand six hundred dollars is what he lost gambling in Vegas. So, just, <laughs> And the only reason I know that is because it came up on a TikTok today for me. So, uh, you know, I put Clark and Ellen Griswold. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a perfect combination of just like that that nutty wackiness of Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold and then. Beverly D'Angelo just being that, you know, that constant north on the compass pointing straight ahead. Uh, Excellent movie. I mean, not only that, I mean, she was she was kind of like the she's the original MILF, I think, in my opinion, Um, Beverly D'Angelo. So, uh, yeah, great, great pick, Rooney. I mean, right off of my list. I appreciate it. So thank you, sir. <laughs> well, let's not forget in uh, Christmas vacation when Clark is uh, having his little fantasy about the pool and the uh, <laughs> as the, uh, the the lingerie saleswoman. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Above. So, so there is no, that. No, no tan lines, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, John, do you have anything else to say about Clark and Ellen Griswold? Yeah, Grooney. Similar along the lines of where Homer and Marge, you said, you know, if it, uh, a husband who's kind of you know, out of his league here, uh, Chevy Chase out of his league with Beverly D'Angelo and with with uh, Ellen Griswold. Uh, what a what a great pick! I love that you know through the movies, Christy Brinkley and Wayne Newton both couldn't keep them apart from each other. They couldn't get in the way. They threatened, but weren't <laughs> going to. They would come back to each other. And there's something so delightful in the way Beverly D'Angelo plays the character, and she has utter faith in Clark all the time <laughs> like she's even when things are going bad she looks to him for the solution she's like she just is trusting that like oh clark will figure it out like she really really believes in him sparky. and that's yeah oh sparky what, what do sparky. we do sparky <laughs> and later on it was sparky 
yeah, those those Winston's packed it, caught up with that after a while. Yeah, camel <laughs> on filters, huh? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a, a great, great, great version of the, a dedicated couple, and you know, along the same lines as Homer. Clark has all the best intentions. He just wants his family to be happy. He wants everything to work out, and it leads to all of these maladies throughout. And, and but their love endures, and they come together. It's great, great pick. Wow, love it. They love endures. All right, well, um, John, we'll stick with you. Uh, give us the first entry on your Mount Rushmore of movie couples. Movies I had a lot harder time with, I think, uh, than in than TV series. And again, like I said to you guys off off before, I think this shows that I, I watch a different type of movie, and I need to find some more movies where people people care about each other. Uh, but the first film I saw in the theater when I was a kid was Return of the Jedi, and the couple that endures from that is the greatest couple from the Star Wars saga is Han Solo and Princess Leia. And they are my first Han Solo or first Mount Rushmore movie couple. Um, they're that classic trope of a bad bad boy and good girl opposites attracting to each other. It's the first real relationship, I guess, that I'm understood in a, in a cinematic uh, mindset. And they were characters. What I appreciate about them is that they're characters that didn't really change each other. Han Solo is still Han Solo throughout. He's still the the scoundrel. He still is, you know, usually thinking of himself first or like not uh, not always not always cautious. He's always taking risks. And Leia is still this, you know, very, very benevolent person. They didn't change each other, but instead they grew together. I think that was was what's strong with them, that Han does come around in having faith in uh, the rebellion and staying with them and the, that understanding of the force. Uh, but they're not going out of their way to to make each other different people so that they are able to come together and, you know, and fall in love. They have the classic moment in Empire where she tells him, you know, I love you. And Han, with the cool as ever responsive, I know, uh, just seals the deal. So Han and Leia, Star Wars, it's a it's a it's a galaxy strong relationship and coupling so for my mount rushmore mm-hmm. yeah definitely i mean I, I love the star wars series and these two are are so great together and it's like you know when they first meet each other and um the first one they're just like you know she like completely detests him and he kind of feels the same way about her and then and as we see in empire they eventually get so you know get to um become attracted to each other that they fall in love and then like you said you know their the relationships is perfectly summed up um when she says she loves him and he responds with i know right before he gets frozen in the carbonite and then it just continues to grow in uh, jedi and then when they come back together in the force awakens um that kind of when they get that brief reunion um and to the point where he uh, where han thinks that he can bring um kylo ren back uh, from the darks from the from from the from the dark side um just such a really great couple and again you know harrison ford and carrie fisher just work so well together in those characters um and it just really makes it all the worth the more worthwhile and it is so so endearing um to that franchise as a whole um Grooney, i know you had han solo and princess Leia on your mount rushmore as well i sure did this is 
is that classic uh, rich women don't marry poor boys uh, sort of thing where like, you know, she comes from the, <laughs> she comes from the high, like high, uh, whatever, high the high she's high uh, boy. Yeah, yeah, you know, the the high tower of uh, Alderaan or whatever it's called. You know, I know the planet's Alderaan, but it's like, you know, the highest council of Alderaan. She comes from like the royal royal house of Alderaan. That's what it is. God. And, uh, you know, he's this, uh, you know, scruffy looking nerf herder, you know, who's just running around smuggling everything, you know. And, um, when when you saw like in Empire Strikes Back, you know Han Solo becomes the princess's responsibility. Like they have to get to the rendezvous point, and that gets uh, altered because you know the Star Destroyers are after them and everything. Han does everything in his power to protect Leia. You know, even if they get double crossed in uh, Cloud City, that iconic line, because, you know, even then, I don't think they knew if Harrison Ford was going to be back for uh, Return of the Jedi. I thought they were going to kill off Han Solo. That was like the rumor at the time that like, yeah, the Harrison Ford didn't know if he was coming back. So I think that was the way of saying, well, if Han dies, you know, at least Princess Leia loves him. And uh, that was like the most iconic line. I love you. And then it's like, I know. And um, Return of the Jedi, they end up getting married. And when they come back, like Steve said, you know, it was such a strong, powerful, like little like scene because, you know, they're saying, oh, can you get our son back if you can? It's like, I'll try. And uh, Han Solo really thought he could, but uh, he could not at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts in uh, in Empire when she throws all those insults at him, and he just comes back with, "Who's scruffy looking?" <laughs> it's, it's just like of all the things that you know cut at him the most, that was that was the one. But that, that's just that's just you know goes again to show how just how great of a character he was. So, um, Keith, do you have anything else to say about Han Solo and Princess Leia? I mean, she did call him the N word. I mean, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I approve of that. Nerf heard. I mean, that, <laughs> that's our word. I mean, that's that's from the that's from the Family Guy episode. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, Leia, Leia and Han. I, I, one of the things I was kind of bummed out about with with the new trilogy was how they kind of handled the the older people, uh, like Luke and Leia and Han. And I, I mean, when you watch. Return of the Jedi, you're all excited because everything ends and you feel so positive and so upbeat because you feel that Han and Leia are going to go on to the sunset and they're going to have this wonderful relationship together and have wonderful children and everything's going to be beautiful and Luke's going to become this new Jedi master and, you know, lead all these people. And But like the harsh truth of reality doesn't always happen that way. And that's what we ended up with was, uh, you know, Han kind of on his own again, you know, being a smuggler with with Chewie and Leia's out there leading the resistance. So, uh, but no, I mean, another great, great movie couple, uh, you know, even with the, uh, even with the beginning, you know, mishaps in the first movie and then the first half of the second movie, but yeah, no, they come together and, you know, it's a great scene when she rescues him. And who, who is that? Somebody who loves you. Someone who loves you. <laughs> yeah. like, damn, he's lucky he didn't say a wrong name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, 
Why didn't you say who it was? Yeah, like he could have said the wrong name. Be like, oh wow, like someone who let him know. You. Oh, Gina, nice. <laughs> Gina, <laughs> nice. You know, like that would have been funny. But no. Well, to be fair, he, you know, when he got freed from the carbonite, he couldn't, you know, couldn't see for that brief time, and then she was also wearing that helmet that just distorted her voice. So yeah, but he recognized know. her voice, which means that's all he thought about when he was in carbonite. <laughs> yeah. I, wonder if he, I wonder if he like actively knew what was going on while he was frozen in carbonite i guess they do get married at jedi and I'm right. we, at jedi and so happily we've got the ghost of hayden christensen hanging yeah, out there yeah everything. yeah like Feels yeah good. seriously like <laughs> like that's what obi-wan wants to see i mean it would have made it made more sense when sebastian Shaw shows up because at least it's like old Obi, it's old Vader or old Anakin. No, <laughs> Obi Wan's gonna live with the rest of eternity, looking at the fucking ghost of the guy he chopped off half his limbs. He <laughs> <laughs> killed all those goddamn younglings. <laughs> George oh, Lucas, goodness. you know what? I should we should get George Lucas on one of these. I bet you he's easy to get. You could probably get him. To... <laughs> George, can you explain what was? I have a couple of questions. Uh, Follow up question. <laughs> Could Han actually know what was going on while he was like, well, you know, Han Solo and Solo were having he would, uh, he would know what was going on the whole time and look for that. Is he watching the Max Rebo band from his wall, a person on the wall? On Do you think he was a Kabanite going like, where's that frog again? <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's like no, that's that's all good. I, I've often, you know, I, I've thought about that myself too, because it's like he's he is in hibernation, so it's like is he, you know, at least consciously aware of what's yeah you know, surroundings? So yeah, like I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I think animals are aware of shit when they're in hibernation, aren't they? I don't know. I mean, most of the time they hide when they go to hibernate, hibernation, you know. But I don't know. He had to know what was going on. <sighs> Yeah, he comes out and he's like, I know that laugh. Alright, well, Keith, we'll stick with you. Uh, give us your next <laughs> entry on your Mount Rushmore uh, uh, movie couples. So I'm going to go with uh, not a married couple, but an engaged couple. Mm. And this is a uh, a very long engaged couple. In fact, it was so long that her biological clock was ticking like this and that of course is vincent laguardia gambini and mona lisa vito from my cousin Vinny. Uh, <laughs> i mean I, I had to put this couple on i had to i mean just so friggin' good i mean did did she he calls upon her at the end they have this i mean first of all there's nothing creepier than watching like a 50 something year old joe pesci have sex with like a 20 something year old uh, <laughs> I was oh, it's so gross. Ah, a twenty-something-year-old Mona Lisa Vito, like nah. like poor Marissa Tomei having a like have that guy making out with her. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. Um, no, I mean, my cousin Vinny is one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of the best portrayals of an Italian couple from New York, <laughs> and that's exactly what you have here. Uh, the thing I loved about it the most is that they're both amazing, fucking wise ass bullshit artists like they're just so good at busting each other's balls it's just that whole thing with like well maybe you didn't twist it hard enough 
I twisted it just right. I mean, it's just so good. And then, of course, she friggin' no, no, the defense is wrong. I, I mean, you, I can't tell you how many times I'm walking around my house just going like, are you sure I'm positive? Because it's just such a good movie, such a great quotable movie. Um, she's amazing in it. Uh, of course, she won the Oscar for it. Joe Pesci, he could have won a friggin' Oscar for it, too. But their love is just so pure. It's so nice. You know, she gives him the whole lecture about not getting married and not and still being engaged. And then he goes, I won my first case. And she's like, yeah, you think I'm going to fucking marry you now? And I just go, it's so good because it's exactly what would happen in real life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, I, you know, kind of ashamed to say this is one of those films that's on my shameless that I haven't had uh, that I've never seen oh. before. It's, oh. I, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh. Um but I mean, I, I, I've, I've obviously, I mean, I've heard obviously, you know, great things about, it, and it's definitely one I think I would definitely enjoy. Um, just kind of quickly reading up on it. Apparently, um, before they brought Joe Pesci in, um, the original uh, got, person that they wanted for Vinny was um, Andrew Dice Clay, which, would, which would have been a, oh, uh, God. which would have made, you know, <laughs> made things a lot more uh, interesting with the film, but. Um, but thankfully, they did go, did go with Pesci, and I know that, um, like you said, Marissa Tomei is tremendous as uh, Mona, as Mona um, to the point that she did win an Oscar for it. So, um, mm-hmm. again, uh, on my short list of films that I definitely do want to see at some point, um, and I'm sure that when I do see it, I will um, agree with you, Keith, that these um, that they definitely belong on the, on the Mount Rushmore movie couples. Um, Gruny, do you have anything else to say about Vincent and Mona Lisa? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, it's a great movie. I've seen it, you know, well, I've seen it plenty of times. <laughs> the fact that uh, Lisa, or Mona Lisa, sticks, out, sticks it out with Joe Pesci in the South is insane. <laughs> the, 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 uh, what is it? The, um, what's that big alarm that goes off? The work alarm or oh, whatever the, the it is? The giant steel, loud the whistle. Mill? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know that. And then the um what is it? The judge's camp house or whatever, like up in the woods, you yeah. know. The attorney's and house, the like, house, yeah. Yeah. Well like the the mill, like the steel mill going off and everything. Like that that is insane. I'm really surprised that she did not leave him to fend for himself. Uh in this trial, but that shows true love. Like you just have to really stick it out through tough times and uh good, uh, like really good for her uh, pulling that, uh you know, that little uh, Chevy stunt um, with the, with the prosecutor at the end to really uh, seal the deal as well. Uh, that was a really good part. And uh, it just really helped uh, shape of the case where uh, Pesci was going to win at the end. So uh, good on Mama Lisa for uh, sticking it out during the tough times. Yeah. Uh, John. Yeah. Another one of those couples that's just screams on on screen chemistry and similar to Chris and Adriana from the, t- the TV couples. This is a, a couple you, you can see exactly why they're attracted to each other exactly why even though they're abrasive and gritting with each other at times that they're going to come back together it's a it's a great pick i I love the performances uh oscar worthy indeed and a great relationship all around Mm -hmm. yeah 
Okay, well, let's go back around to Grooney. Uh, give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of movie couples. So for mine, I went to the uh, comedy movie side, and <laughs> this is probably not, not one of the weirdest couples, but like two very weird and very awkward people uh, coming together where you think, oh, they definitely they definitely belong together. And it's one of those where, you know, instead of like um, the guy, the girl being out of the, the, the guys league, you know, um, it's where the guy thinks that this girl like is out of um, like, um, it's like the other way around where the guy looks down upon the girl and it's like nah she'll never i would never fall in love with her and that is uh jim and michelle from american pie Mm. you know and like it starts off like with them going to prom and then she just leaves him you know after they're done she doesn't even spend the night with him like he wakes up alone and then you go to the second one he is all about scoring with Nadia, you know, and Nadia is way out of his league, but for some reason, Nadia always had a soft spot for Jim, you know, I don't know if it was for the uh, sex video that was made, but, uh, you know, and then like just that line of him being like, I'm a band geek. I just never played and him driving back to the, um, to the concert to find Michelle and like confess his, true love to him was really romantic you know like i enjoyed um be like that playing in the background watching that and i was like oh shoot like this is really good then the wedding like they've been through ups and downs like through like the whole Stephen finch saga to stifler actually ruining the wedding and everything just like going wrong it goes on the all up and up with stifler fixing it and they get they have their uh they had like you know they have their uh happy ending wedding you know the wedding was really good when they come back you know it seems like their marriage is on the rocks you know and then jim gets caught with uh the uh the girl he used to babysit and like michelle is like at a crossroads like you know what do i do and so everyone seems to be at a crossroads their marriage and you know in the end they all they they get back together and uh everything is really okay so i went with uh jim, jim and michelle from american pie mm-hmm. yeah that's they're definitely um interesting couple because like you said in the first film uh jim seems to have his eyes on um on nadia and then eventually kind of gets to a point where he and michelle do end up getting together and then we see it play out throughout the other films like you said they you know, go to college and then they get married and then they get together for the reunion and they kind of had to kind of bring everything back around full circle. And it's really just um, kind of one of those, you know, feel good kind of uh, relationships that um, doesn't seem like it would work, but it does end up working. So um, that's definitely a good little pick there, uh, Gurney. Um, John, do you have, John, do you have anything else to say about Jim and Michelle? Yeah, obviously the kind of the rock of those on. Um, these ensemble films, the the couple that stays in the middle that, you know, we, we are rooting for and ultimately, you know, get together. Uh, 
I don't have as much exp- much familiarity with the later films. Definitely the first one. Uh, I do appreciate. It. I think, like you pointed out, that he's he's standoffish. He doesn't want this to be a couple, but that they do come together despite their differences. And uh, you know, in an American Wedding, they are able to you know express their love. So uh, sorry, I don't have too much ad, but fine pick. I would put him on there. Good job, mm-hmm. Keith. Uh, this, yeah, they're a good, they're a great couple, actually. Um, I agree a lot with what Rooney said. I mean, I, I've seen all the movies. I think that it is, it is one of those where he thinks that she's completely, he's completely out of her league, and then he realizes, you know, towards the end of the second movie that he's in love with her, and that, you know, she's the girl that he's always wanted, and then, um, yeah, the American one, I mean, they started to get goofy after really the second one, um, like the, I always thought it was interesting that these two had been dating for a really long period of time, and yet they came from the same town, they went to the same high school, yet their parents never met each other. <laughs> I always thought that was kind of weird. Like, you know, you would think that they would have met their parents before he engaged, he, he proposed to his his girlfriend. But nevertheless, that's another, that's just a loophole or a plot hole in the movie, rather not loophole, plot hole. But um. No, I mean it's a, it. They're a great couple. Uh, they had great chemistry too. I think that, um, uh, yeah, Jim and Michelle have great chemistry. And uh, really, I mean, I'm trying to think if, if she's actually really the only thing I've known that she's done after How I Met Your Mother was um, she's on that like that magic show with Penn and Teller, and it's like it's kind of sad because. Yeah, she she's like, on Foolish. She's the host of Foolish. Yeah, and she was like, uh, what's her name? Allison Hannigan. And she was Allison Hannigan, yeah. Yeah, and she was like, she was kind of like a big deal. Like, I mean, she was a big deal in the America Pie. I feel like she was the biggest star in How I Met Your Mother, and that's including um uh what's his name there? Uh Doogie Hauser, you know, Neil Patrick Harris. But I feel like she was like the biggest star at the beginning of that show. You know, she's in My Stepmom is an Alien, which I freaking love that movie. <laughs> if anybody's ever seen that movie, that's a movie we should. Oh, Gurney, that's a movie we need to watch one night is how I as My Stepmom's an Alien. That's a freaking shit fest from like 1999. <laughs> so good. But um, yeah, still got all movie. that Buffy money rolling in, right? Oh, that's right. She was on mm-hmm. Buffy and she was so good on Buffy. Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, what the hell is Allison Hannigan doing? Like, she needs to get on a freaking regular show. And be like a new person on the show, like you know, she somebody needs to call up and get her on like a on a good, like a good Netflix series or something like that, you know. And shit, let her play like a friggin' sex crazed addict because she was awesome as that in uh, the American Pie movie. So yeah, great pick, Rooney. Mm-hmm. I think I think um I think her being in a what was it a date movie? I think it was kind of a. May have may have <laughs> unfortunately kind of killed her movie career. Um, that's why she had to go back oh, back to TV. Right. But um, that's right, she did that stupid, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, she was was it she, was that the one where she was in a fat suit? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, God. Think, oh. Yeah. Those movies are so bad. Those like terrible spoof movies that are just bad, bad, bad knockoffs of like the airplane movies. Ugh. Yeah, they were like they were like for a while there in the late 2000s they were churning them out all over the place. It was like that epic movie. Um, yeah. 
disaster movie superhero movie they were... I, I, and if you haven't worked in the working in the movie theater at that time it seemed like you know almost every once a year we get one of those um one of those spoof films and they just got like it seemed like they got worse with every one yeah they were coming out with they're pumping out those as fast as they're pumping out the paranormal activity in the uh the saw movies it's like they seriously pump those movies out so fast <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, yeah, it yeah. takes us. Yeah, it takes us like five years for another freaking Marvel movie to come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those uh, those but those big budgets or small budgets definitely uh, <laughs> factor in how long it takes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, go back around to John. Uh, give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of movie couples. Sure. Um, and I'll go to. You know, a director who you don't really think of for uh, portraying couples that well and in Paul Thomas Anderson. And then an actor who obviously does have a lot of couples, and that's Adam Sandler. Uh, but to me, my favorite coupling that he did on, on screen was in Punch Drunk Love. Uh, his p- portrayal of Barry, the man just in a blue suit the whole time with an anger issue. And his uh, relationship with Lena, played by Emily Watson, uh, for me, of Adam Sandler's performances and romances and movies, this was the most realistic. Uh, it's the one where he, you know, Anderson kind of plays up uh, the angry side of the Adam, the, the usual Adam Sandler character of this kind of like repressed rage that even though he's putting on a happy face can like just kind of bubble to the surface and burst out at times. And he is walking through this very lonely existence that is, uh, in his life, as is she, but they uh, find each other. There's a way that he falls in love in this movie that is so um, so really just kind of pure and the way it's captured. You see it in when he's just in a grocery store thinking of her and doing like breaking into a little kind of Chaplin-esque dance. Uh, on his own instead of those bursts of anger we see elsewhere their love eventually grows to where they're they're racing together to be together in hawaii and there's music swelling like in a classic 1950s 60s romance film and when they come together it's this kind of awkward hug and kiss where she even stumbles a little bit uh but it's just a beautiful moment that's earned i really loved that they have a uh, a connection that's felt to bring them together, and even though they feel so lonely and displaced from everybody else in the world. And Sandler takes that love and actually pairs it with his anger in the later part of the film when he confronts uh, in a brilliant scene against Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he now has that love for her that becomes a strength. He says, I have so much power within me. I have a love that makes me more powerful than you can ever imagine. So you need to leave me alone. And it shuts everybody up. It makes him dominating. And then he rushes back to be by her side. Uh, A flawed, but brilliant, two flawed characters who find true love uh, in just a a really, really beautiful romance in the movie. I love uh, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, this is this is one of the films that kind of um that kind of passed by me um that I've I've heard of a little bit about but never got you know kind of got around to watching. It's really kind of interesting because it was during that time where like Adam Sandler was in such a groove with his comedy films that to see him kind of go out of his comfort zone was was uh, kind of jarring. But um but I mean he proved he can he can make it work and we've seen we'll we'll see in future years like with other films that. 
you know, when given the given a serious role, he he, he knows how to act, and uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And um, the, yeah, this is again one of those ones where he kind of takes on that kind of role, and it, he makes it work. And um, yeah, so I, I'll you know, kudos to you for giving you know for that pick there, John. Um, Keith, do you have anything else to say about um, Barry uh, Barry and Lena from Punch Drunk Love? Um, I want to kind of piggyback on what you were just saying about Sandler being like a, he's a hell of a dramatic actor. He really is. And I think that, um, Sandler's one of my favorites of all time. And, um, I love everything that he does and the comedies, the goofball comedies, the family comedies, and then even all of his dramas and stuff. And this is up there. I mean, this is a great movie. I love this movie. I love Sandler in it. I love Emily Watson in it too. You know I mean? I think, I think all the players in this movie, um, I'm not a big Philip Seymour Hoffman fan. So yeah, I'm kind of excited how, how that all turns out at the end. But, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, this is, no, this is just one of those great films, great portrayal. Like you said, Steve, when, when given the material, he can perform, um, at that level, Uh, this shows it. I think also, uh, Spanglish shows it too just how good of an actor he can be when given the right, given the right materials with the right director. Um, and he doesn't have to be like that goofball. Uh, but when, of course, when I mean, not in Adam Sandler movies, basically. Right. <laughs> right. right. And, um, you know, I didn't see uncut gems, but I know everyone that saw uncut gems was like, he was unbelievable in it. So, um, it was just one of those, <laughs> it's a basketball movie and I really just don't like basketball enough to watch a movie about it. <laughs> so it's like, Nah. And it's the same with like that hustle, because that's another one that's basketball related. And I'm like, eh, shit, he's going to do two friggin serious movies about basketball. Uh, but anyway, no, I mean, I love I love everything Sandler does and um, I can get on board with it. So excellent pick. Excellent pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gurney. Um, this is one of those Adam Sandler movies that I have not seen. So I will uh, watch this movie as well. Okay, uh, well, let's go back around to Keith. Uh, give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of movie couples. And now we come back to Howdy Doody. It is definitely an Adam Sandler person. <laughs> so that's amazing that you said Punch Drug Love, because for me, I think his best role, <laughs> his best comedy matchup is Robbie Hart and Julia Sullivan, almost Julia Gulia from The Wedding Singer. <laughs> so Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. I I love this movie. I think this is probably Sandler's best comedy that he's done. I think it's got the best concise story. Um, these two start off as friends. They start off with that really awesome thing about how he's broken because, you know, his, his, his fiance leaves him. Linda leaves him at the altar. Um, and then at the beginning, they're playing that. Oh God, is it, they're playing the, the violin or the orchestral version of um, don't stop believing. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it makes me, it makes me well up when he, when he first gets dumped by her. And then, you know, he ends up with, he ends up being friends with Julia, helping her play in that wedding. Um, you know, the the husband or the fiance sucks and he has that kind of conflict with him. He's got his best friend there and <laughs> his best friend's like just such a pimp. and <laughs> It's just so good. And then, of course, it's got 
I mean, it's almost like you forget that they're like crowbarring in like references to the 80s because the story is so good and their chemistry is so good. Uh, I mean, obviously, like they did, you know, a few movies afterwards as well together and they could keep doing movies forever. As far as I'm concerned, I think they're so good together. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, as much as I love everything he does, my favorite my favorite Sandler movie is probably The Wedding Singer, and part of that reason is because his relationship that he has with Drew Barrymore in that movie is just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, he and uh, yeah, he and Drew Barrymore have definitely good chemistry together in this one, and I thought they they still had it really good in um, Fifty First Dates. Blended, yeah, maybe not so much. I think by that point, um, it was kind of a the the uh, the returns were getting a little smaller but um i think when it comes to um sandler and his um his movie couples and he's had a he's had some good ones uh, throughout the years this, this i think is the one that he is probably best for um yeah just because this you know it's it is a really funny film and he does a great job as robbie and uh you know the fact that he was able to um get billy idol to help him um when Julia back over, I think is def- I think definitely um, put a nice capper on that um, on the film. Um, Grooney, do you have anything else to say about Robbie and Julia from the Wedding Singer? Yeah, you know, talk about like um, one of those uh, where it doesn't seem like it's going to uh, work out, but in the end, um, with Billy Idol's help, basically he gets the girl. And uh, it was really funny, like, you know, he's um, he's at the he's at that wedding and he got really, really drunk. And, um, you know, he's just going off into like this whole like depressing song. Like meanwhile, this bride and groom like, dude, like we're celebrating our wedding and you're just giving us this like sad song for no reason. But, uh, yeah, basically, um it was really good at the end that, uh, you know, Robbie got, Robbie got the girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John. Uh, probably the Sandler movie I've seen the most often is the wedding singer. Um, and Drew Barrymore is a part of that reason. I remember whenever after came out a film she was in, uh, a critic wrote that nobody plays falling in love like Drew Barrymore as well as she does, I guess. And, it's true. Uh, they're, they have this kind of falling for each other throughout it and, you know, understanding that he's really looking out for the best of her and just wants for her to be happy and take her away from this awful guy of Glenn uh, that makes their victory at the end, them coming together with Billy Idol's help, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, an earned moment and you root for them and their wedding at the end together. Uh, I, I think this is you know, strips back all the jokiness of some of the other Sandler mm-hmm. romances and comedies you'd have in, in the future. Yes, mm-hmm. they use the 80s, 80s tropes to kind of lean on, but that's about it. At the heart, it's still a, you know, a simple romantic comedy. And, you know, the guy gets the girl at the end and he should. And this is a, they're, they're really, they really play kind of a innocent wanting love for, for each other, you know, in a way that, uh, that, you know, just erupts off the screen. I love this film. A great pick. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's uh, stick with John. Uh, give us the next entry on your Mount Rushmore of movie couples. 
Sure. So I'm into back into a more conventional pick uh, for me, I guess. And, you know, I started with Return of the Jedi and Star Wars series being, you know, one of my favorites. Uh, another favorite film series of mine is the Rocky series. And at the core of the first film, at the core of several of the films, is the relationship between Rocky and Adrian. It's probably controversial because Adrian becomes a bit of a nag. Not a bit, but an entire drag down on the series at times. But it's their relationship and their coming together that, and the love they have for each other that kind of spurs Rocky on to success. Uh, the idea at first is obviously that he's this underdog, you know, ne- never going to amount to anything. And she's in a similar in a similar realm. She's very put upon, very uh, kind of standoffish, not engaging with anybody and living her life, supporting her brother and, um, you know, just working at the pet shop. And as these two really kind of lonely searching individuals, they find each other and uh, bring each other out of their shells in a way. Rocky as a fighter and performer and actual like, you know, person in her as being able to stand up for herself and also open up herself to love uh, they truly care about each other and you can tell that adrian is the most important thing to rocky more important even than fighting uh, we see that at the end of the first rocky where there's just this one classic moment to me where he's in the ring there's pandemonium after the fight they're waiting for the decision everybody's crowding him asking for questions adrian's fighting through gets to him they come together at the middle and she's like, Rocky, Rocky. He looks her. And the first thing he thinks and he says is just, where's your hat? Where's your hat? Where's your hat? <laughs> they, he notices a simple thing of her hat is not on her head. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, oh, I love you or anything. It's just immediately that he can notice these slight differences. There's a there's an attention to detail in that writing uh, you know, from Stallone. You know, for all the crap that Stallone does, he still wrote Rocky really brilliantly. Uh, that, that, that tugs at me every time. It did get off the rails in those middle films. You know, everybody remembers Adrian standing at the top of the stairs, yelling at Rocky, telling him he can't win, and just being like, you know, you need to quit, you need to retire. But I think that love and that coupling of them comes gets regained uh, in the later films in Rocky Balboa, that Rocky, you know, is very loyal and visits her grave and... You know, you know, has his chair there to sit and talk with her. This one true companion he had in his life, true life partner for him. And uh, Rocky and Adrian, at the heart of this entire franchise, is their love, and that's why they're one of my Mount Rushmore couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can. I mean, his his um, relationship with her is what kind of keeps him grounded throughout that whole series. Um, and, you know, one of the most, like, iconic moments is, of course, at the end of uh, the second one after he beats Creed and he, you know, his big, you know, what he says is he says, like, yo, Adrian, I did it! And just seeing their, you know, love grow throughout the films and her kind of, you know, eventually, like you said, getting worried about him as he's kind of taken on more you know, more than he probably should. And eventually, you know, kind of leads into him kind of having to mend him the relationship with his son. And even after, you know, in the later films, after she, her character passes away and even, you know, the, the love that he still showed for not just Rocky Balboa, but even into the Creed films, um, that's kind of what kept him on the, you know, kind of on the straight and narrow throughout all his life. So I think that um, when you think back to some of the greatest movie couples, Rocky and Adrian, and Adrian is definitely up there. And Keith also uh, had them on his mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore as well as his final pick. 
I did, yes. And uh, I, I honestly, everything, everything that John said, I would echo. And I mean, it's, and I was even going to bring up, and I, I wasn't sure you were going to, John, and then you did. But I mean, you brought up that Rocky continued through, in my opinion, as much as I love all the Rocky movies, there's only two that mean something, in my opinion, and that's the first one, and then Rocky Balboa. And I think that, and the reason why is because... 100%, 100% agree. Like, the first one is the, it's it's perfect, because he loses at the end, he, he has that amazing scene where he's sitting on the bed, and he goes, I just want to go the distance. No one's ever gone the distance with this guy, and that's all it is. And you you nailed it when you said, like, they were two fucking losers. They were just two washed up losers that no one gave a shit about. Paulie is brutal to Adrian, like in the first half of that movie. Um, he's terrible to her. And they find themselves. They find each other. There's that awkwardness at the beginning of the two of them getting together. Then they become like when she looks at him and she says, you want a roommate? It's like it's so perfect how they end up together. And then, you know, women weak and knees and just like. And then well, let her turn you then. Like, I always love that line. And it's just that first movie so good. And then, oh, John, you said it. You were like, where's your hat? Like, it's just it's the best. Like, he doesn't give a shit what happened. He doesn't care about the fight. He won in his mind. He won because he was still standing when the last bell rang. And that was like the biggest thing about it. And then you go all the way. Like you said, she gets a little wacky in the other movies. So does he. And then you get all the way to the last to the Rocky Balboa. She's gone. He's still it's like eternal love. Like he's never going to let go. And he visits her every day. He even has her brother sick and tired of talking about her. And yet Rocky's like, no, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this because I need to. And then I think there's that scene where he gets into the fight with his son. And he goes, go see your mother like that. And it's go just see like. Your mother. Yeah, and it's he has just, a scene with Paulie in there. Paulie's like, "Are you mad that Adrian left you?" He's like, "He didn't leave; she died." You know, yeah. like he's carrying this. Oh, he carries this. that weight with him the whole time, and it's just, it's so good. And then that, and then that movie ends perfectly, where he loses at the end. You know, and he, he loses, loses and by he, decision. And, what is he, and he says he closes at at her grave. He says just at the end of Rocky Two, he says, "Yo, Adrian, we did it. We did it. Yes, perfect, perfect." Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Gurney, do you have anything else to say about Rocky and Adrian? Yeah, it is. It feels like it's almost like the perfect uh, sports couple, basically. Like, you, you know, uh, a woman uh, by uh, a fighter side uh, side here. And, um, well, I, I like the second one, really. Um, you know, uh, when he goes, yo, Adrian, I did it. And the fourth one is really my favorite movie. And, um, you know, uh, even though, like, she disagrees that Rocky does not need Rocky does not need to go and fight the Russian and does not need to go fight uh, Ivan Drago. She ends up going to Russia and supporting him. And um, in the fifth film, uh, you know, she's like. <laughs> Down, like they're down their luck, they'll get through it. But also that, like Rocky is starting to like suffer the brain trauma, you know, and like the the head trauma. So you know, Rocky's sort of falling apart. And uh, but Adrian uh, stuck it out uh, until the until the very end, and uh, Rocky never stopped, um, 
visiting her uh, when she passed away as well. So uh, I really enjoyed this couple as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. All right, well, Gurney, you have one entry left on your Mount Rushmore, so why don't you go ahead and give it to us? Uh, yes, I do. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure no well, I mean, maybe like it's not gonna be on uh, anyone's of on on here's list but if you grew up in the harry potter world like i did you know you you would see why this uh why this couple has made my list that is ron weasley and hermione granger uh, this is one of those very Good, good, good developed, um, developed relationships over the years. Uh, it took seven years for them to finally get together. But, uh, you know, it starts off with the first one. Um, you know, when they all meet on the train and Hermione's just a know-it-all and runs like, I don't care. You're a nerd and you're a nightmare, you know? And, uh, you know, they end up like rescuing, uh, Hermione from the troll and then, uh, like, in the, if you go to the third one, when Buckbeak gets killed, um, you know, Hermione, like, cries on uh, Ron's shoulder. And then um, the fourth film, uh, Ron doesn't ask Hermione out when he should have. And then in the seventh film, Ron does not make the same mistake again. And he knows right away, I need to ask Hermione to dance with me before anybody because I really care about her. And uh, during the Battle of Hogwarts, they end up, uh, you know, kissing uh, and uh, becoming a couple. And uh, in the epilogue, 19 years later, they end up getting married. So if you really liked Harry Potter, you followed uh, the whole uh, Ron and Hermione series. And you know, even they tried like different people, you know, uh, Hermione tried Victor Crumb and uh, Ron tried Lavender Brown and they realized that like they they are meant for each other, even if um, they're totally two different people. So Ron and Hermione have a spot on my Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely um, agree with that. Even though I'm sure uh, Sean Kidd's probably putting his fist through a wall right now hearing this. <laughs> but but no, you're but you're exactly right. I mean, going. Th- I mean, if you I mean just following along through not just the books but through the movies, just seeing their relationship grow from you know from the first time they meet each other, they basically like to test each other to you know becoming friends and getting close and all the ups and the downs. And I remember. Being in the being in the theater went for the in the second Deadly Hallows and when they kissed after they um dis- after they destroyed that one Holcrux and they um they finally kissed like the audience popped I mean that's how invested mm-hmm. they were in this relationship between these two and and eventually like you said it gets to a point where they eventually get married and they have kids of their own and I mean just seeing these um seeing Ron and Hermione grow up together along with Harry and going through everything that they've been through um just makes them really such a, such an endearing couple and I think that de- I mean I'm I definitely would agree that um if if I were making a Mount Rushmore I probably may have even had them on my mind as well uh, just because I you know, watched all those films and saw that relationship grow to the um to the extent that it did. Um, John, do you have anything else to say about Ron and Hermione? 
I've neither read any of the Harry Potter books nor have I seen the films, unfortunately. <laughs> I guess this one now, guy. <laughs> okay, uh, Keith. Uh, what's Harry Potter? No, I'm just kidding. Um, having <laughs> read all the books several times and seen all the movies several times, uh, the stories in the book are way. The story in the book is way better, obviously. But uh, no, I mean they're they're. Um, yeah, that's a great that's a great that's a great romantic relationship. Um, that's that's up there on a list, I think. Um, it just because I mean, I think people assumed that it would have been Harry and Hermione, and it wasn't. They always had like a like a brother sister type relationship, and then so you know the next obvious choice there was Ron. So, but no, it's a great it's a great pick altogether too. But yeah, yeah no, I forgot that, that shows, part. Is, that shows well. Rooney's age. That's the age that he grew up in. So, <laughs> yeah, I forgot that part as well. When everyone expects, oh, the girl's just gonna go for the the hero boy, uh, but she but she picks the best friend, you know. Like, yeah, well, the best part is uh, when he's like, he goes, "I am the chosen one," and then she hits him in the library. She's like, "Shut up, you douche!" <laughs> like that's always like if you yeah. had to have if you had an R rated <laughs> version of Harry Potter, you know, she would have been like, "Shut the fuck up, Harry, you're a dickhead." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, John, you're the only one again that has anything left on your Mount Rushmore. So why don't you go and give us your last pick? All right, so my last pick, maybe a little, a little off the beaten path, but it does come from the film Rushmore. So for Mount Rushmore, mm. it makes sense. Uh, and that is the pairing that ends uh, that we end up with at the end, which is Max Fisher and Margaret Yang. Uh, Wes Anderson has a great, does a great job of writing young love. I wish he would write it more in his films instead of relying on just some of the sim tropes that he writes instead. Uh, but this is an earlier film of his and one that, you know, stuck with me at an important time in my life when I was, you know, in film school and watching things and fell in love with this immediately uh, and relating to the character. I love that there is this is not the the couple we're aiming to get to, it feels, throughout the film. If you watch it, Max, the main character, is pining for his teacher, is in love with his teacher, the same person that Bill Murray's character is in love with. And they're kind of competing over her. Meanwhile, in the background is young Margaret Yang, a classmate of his who is kind of patiently waiting, but very kind to him and very like, uh, you know, supportive of him, even when he's getting Max, even when he's getting kicked out of school or, you know, losing friends and things are kind of seeming seemingly lonely for him and endless. And there is that kind of sense of loneliness and and solitude that lurks over all of the characters in the film. Uh, and depression, which is which is what makes them coming together in the back third uh, so so rewarding. Uh, ultimately, they come together. She he she approaches him when he's out feeling bad for himself and you know flying a kite, but is meets up with Margaret and you know opens up and lets her into his world. Starts writing a role for her in the play, and they perform together. And we have uh, you know them getting a dance at the end together even bill murray tries to cut in and she says take off i'm with my boyfriend and you know this is find your own partner the fact that they're together and dancing over that last you know musical musical interlude gives us a sense of real hope for them in the future and i think that's one of the best things you can have for a couple in the film is that there's comfort in them finding each other and hope for what they're going to achieve 
And for a character like Max, who spends the whole uh, film looking for direction, I think that's really important and it's really earned and uh, really, really, really great ending. I think uh, I'd be remiss to not mention probably the most heartbreaking part of the film and seeing when they're kind of at their nadir is where there's a musical montage in the middle over Rolling Stones, uh, I'm Waiting, and Max is in a severe depression in his house, keeping away from everybody. And we even see Margaret coming to give him a plant and try to just talk with him, but he's, you know, ignoring her. The music builds perfectly. It builds this sense of uh, now our attention turns to maybe these two should be together, not the teacher that we've seen throughout. I love this movie. I can go back and watch it so many times. Uh, and I love their relationship. I think this is probably Wes Anderson's best work and is overshadowed by some of the later stuff that just got put into making the same film over and over again with same people. And this, you look back, is such a different piece from him. And I think it, it deserves more credit. And that relationship itself deserves a Mount Rushmore placement, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, another film that kind of kind of passed me by. I don't really have much recollection of it. Um, but it's another one I think I might have to just go back in um, and revisit just because it does seem like it's gotten some uh, good play and um, is considered one of the better films of the late 90s. So definitely one I want to uh, that I might take another look at here. Um, Keith, do you have anything else to say about Max and Margaret from Rushmore? Uh, no, I think uh, I mean, John kind of said it all. I mean, yeah, Ma- that was a great movie. I remember I worked at Blockbuster when that came out and I remember like picking up my own copy because I was like. Oh, I really need to get into Wes Anderson stuff because <laughs> I was like, he's going to be like one of those guys later on. That's going to be really awesome. And um, I always liked this movie. I always liked how. Yeah, like I like that they end up at the end. Um, the girl that played her, Sarah Tanaka, I looked it up. She really didn't do much. She was in old school and she really didn't do a lot. So that's kind of a shame because I think she had uh, seems like she stopped acting like around 2004. So, you know, I hope everything is all right. And she just decided to pursue a career in you know, something else, but, uh, yeah, no, great movie, great role, uh, great, great pick. Mm-hmm. Grooney? Uh, no, um, this movie, um, is a little bit before my time, so, um, I'll have to, uh, see this one as well. All right, well, that will, uh, conclude everybody's Mount Rushmore, so let's now go ahead and talk about any honorable mentions that haven't been discussed yet. Um, Grooney, do you have any honorable mentions you want to talk about? Um, if we were to, um, if I were to give a, um, an honorable mention, um, I feel like it would have to be, uh, Danny Zuko and, uh, Sandy from, um, from Greece, you know, talk about like your, I guess your sappy love story here. Uh, mm-hmm. You have this goody two shoes from Australia coming into a uh, an American high school where you know the the boys are uh, mischief. They're 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 mischievous. The guys are mischievous, you know, and like you know this guy, this like get like you know this gangster guy, you know falls in love but he doesn't want to you know embarrass himself in front of his friends uh so he's like yeah that's cool babe and then um you know he really wants to win her back and like he's like really really sorry about it and then you know she actually tries going out with the the track jock star 
And then John Travolta's like, well, I guess in order to uh, win Sandy over, I got to be a track uh, jock instead of being a, uh, you know, a greaser. But then in the end, she flips the screws and was like, no, I want to be a greaser for you. So, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So it's it it was very, uh, it's a very interesting movie. I've seen this movie, like, I was introduced to the movie when I was like seven or eight years old, which is probably very wrong age to be introduced to it. I had no idea of any of the sexual innuendos that were going on at the time. So like this probably was a movie that I should not have been watching at the age of eight years old. (laughs) That's a musical. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I'm, I, that's a definitely a good choice there. Um, as, as I haven't actually been in the stage production of Greece twice. Um, I definitely uh, have some connection to this film, and it was one of my favorites as well. Um, like I said, uh, John Travolta and you know, God rest her soul, Olivia Newton-John were so good together as Danny and Sandy. So, um, I'm glad that that, that got, uh, um, got a no, that's got that got a nod. Um, John, do you have any other honorable mentions that we haven't talked about yet? Sure. Uh, Grooney, it's nice to see that the place to be nation will forever, it seems, always manage to bring in their admiration for the work of Olivia Newton-John. This is probably the the, the, the fan group I know that somehow has such admiration for Olivia Newton-John in, in more ways than one on the music feeds and here. So here we go. Good. Uh, yeah, I had two in particular for honorable mentions. One would be from uh, probably my favorite romantic comedy I guess, as you could put it in fantasy comedy, which would be Buttercup and Wesley from mm. The Princess Bride. They're, to, they're apart for so much of the film, you know, so you don't really think of them as a couple. But, uh, you know, obviously he driven that we have their courtship in ways of when he's, you know, the servant boy hel- helping at the house and then that he's going through all these trials to get back to her and to, to be with his love. That's one. And then I didn't bother looking it up their names but i just put the couple from up uh the old people the whole couple (laughs) (laughs) Uh, listen first five seven minutes of that film in the in the montage of their of their budding relationship and growing old together and eventually her passing uh sets the tone for the entire film rips everybody's hearts out and then we see that he's doing everything he can in order to honor her memory and to to live out their dreams. And uh, their love is that strong that it's able to cross continents in a hot air balloon powered house or not hot air balloon powered house, but regular balloon powered house. And uh, I think, yeah, that's a that's a great couple right there. I wish we had more time with them instead of just the, the seven or eight minutes that we get at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Car- Carl and Ellie is the. Um, oh, okay. By the go. way, yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm glad you did mention them. They are a, a, such a really cute couple. Just seeing them, you know, and like you said, it's such a that first seven eight minutes of up is just such a roller coaster of emotions from like happy to sad to happy to sad. It's just it just you know takes you on such an emotional ride just right off the bat that you almost forget that you're sitting, you know you still got about another like ninety minutes of the film to get through. So uh, glad you picked that one. And then yet. Yeah, um, Wesley and Buttercup's another really good one, so uh, good picks with there. Um, Keith, do you have any other honorable mentions that we haven't talked about yet? Um, I have kind of a very unconventional couple, but uh, what about Marty McFly and Doc Brown? I mean, they were technically a couple of friends, you know? 
Nothing? Wow, crickets. Okay. Uh, I mean, I thought about, you know, I I mean, one of the things I did think about is I was like, you know, a couple, we really did, did we really define this originally as romantic couples in movies and television? I feel like all of us went down the road of romantic couples in movies and television, which makes total sense. But then I thought Rooney was going to say Thrupple and he was going to say Harry, Ron and Hermione is and just that the fact that the three of them were always together. But, you know, he didn't go with the Holy Trinity. I would say. uh, Yeah, I mean, if you don't if you want to say a non you know, unconventional and not necessarily a romantic couple, Marty and Doc, they were a freaking couple couple of badasses. You know what I mean? So that's uh, that's it. (laughs) Honorable mention. (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I when I put the thing out i you know my my thought was of course you know was romance you know because know, of yes. February. but no that's still yeah. that's still you know because they are such an eccentric uh duo um and they just make those movies work so well so you know i definitely think that's a good pick i mean maybe on a future episode we can do almost like um like bf like best friends you know that's oh of thing, yeah that and then, be, they, that and then i good... think they're they're on that list yeah i mean you know batman and robin put them on there i mean that's a couple um but no, I mean, I, well, like, let's put it this way. He, he went back in time to save Doc's life. Did he not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, you guys all had some good honorable mentions. I mean, for me, obviously the Disney fan, I mean, we could make a whole, I mean, you could make a whole oh, bunch yeah. more just on Disney couples. So, oh, sure. You know, yeah. animated, animated and live action. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so. All right. Well, that will go ahead and wrap things up here. Uh, it's been a great topic, a great discussion, talking a lot about a lot of great couples on both uh, TV and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go, let's talk about where everybody can find us on social media and what we've got going on in terms of other podcasts. So, Keith, we'll start with you. Um, so you can hear me uh, still every week with uh, Pete PD on uh, GFA Live. Uh, that's available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, wherever other podcasts are found. Uh, you can also check me out. I'm all over the North-South Connection and the PTB Pop and PTB Wrestling. Uh, as Steve introduced me, I've been doing the uh, Pop Video Jukebox Song of the Day. Uh, that's kind of uh, been something I've enjoyed a lot. And uh, we've had some interesting theme weeks on there, and we're going to be continuing that interesting theme week tradition and trend. Um, you can also check out on... Uh, coming out soon, probably in the next couple of weeks or so, we're going to be dropping another Multiverse of Fabulousness uh, that'll be on the North-South Connection. And uh, just stay tuned for more things. If you want to check out my t- Twitter, the Twitter, it's Flounder824. And you can also check me out on Facebook, and usually I keep everybody up to date on those things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, John? Uh, hey, thanks. Yeah, social media-wise, you can just find me on Facebook. Probably the best ways to keep up with anything I'm up to. Uh, place to be-wise, I always love to chime in, usually on Mount Rushmore's here. Uh, had the opportunity to talk about songs from 1981 with uh, rank with our ranking program with Scott recently. And uh, obviously get to check in with, as Keith mentioned here, I love the daily music video jukebox uh, series been a while since i've had some on there but always like hearing from the people who have great uh great tales about their music videos here uh looking forward to the theme weeks coming up and joining back up with them and be on the lookout as you heard us talk about 90210 earlier if you listen to the 90210 no so uh podcast 
have been a guest on there a couple times, and we'll be coming up for discussing some serious Emily Valentine episodes, some of the best moments in that series, uh, really leading up, and you'll get to hear uh, Scott, Tim, or sorry, JT, Tim, and me uh, discuss those in depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Grooney? Well, on Twitter, you can find me at Grooney316. That's capital G-R-U-N-E-Y-316, Grooney316. And on, uh, like Steve mentioned before, I uh, do a couple of podcasts on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. We have Extreme Resurrection, where me and Steve, we talk about ECW on the Sci-Fi Network uh, from 2006 to 2010 and uh we are uh we just uh we just recorded an episode uh not a little while ago but uh it's getting ready to drop soon uh the last two ecw episodes before wrestlemania 23 you have the battle of the billionaires bobby lashley versus umaga and you have the uh ecw originals versus the new breed feud going on as well so we'll see what happens uh with the fallout of wrestlemania 23 and uh also on the place to nation wrestling feed i uh, have a new podcast called the nation invasion where I and a uh, guest uh, every month we cover um, the Raw and SmackDown uh, from that week. And it's basically we're covering the WCW invasion. We're, I'm at the start of it. Uh, me and Logan Crossling recently, we just covered uh, the June 4th and June 7th week of that Monday Night Raw and SmackDown where Hugh Morris uh, invades Raw and uh, a lot of shine on Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho as uh, King of the Ring uh, is looming. So we'll see what happens uh, as we get towards uh, King of the Ring as well. And we continue with the invasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great stuff there as well. Um, as for me, uh, you can usually find me here on, over here on the Pop Feed between uh, this show um the video jukebox uh, song of the day, as well as Pop Goes the Classics, where me, Andy, and Miranda are going through all the Disney animated films. Um, our next one we'll be hopefully getting to here soon. Of course, we'll be Mulan as we hit the uh, the end of the Disney Renaissance. Um, and as uh, Gruny did mention over the wrestling feed, I'm part of uh, Extreme Resurrection with him. And I recently also did an episode of No, of no Holds Barred over on the North-South feed, uh, where I joined Aaron, JT, and Jenny on one of their drafts, where we drafted um, our favorite wrestling couples. So, some talking, uh, some more couples talk over there. So be sure to check that out, both audio form and video form, over on the North South uh, YouTube channel. Um, you can usually find me over on the PTB Facebook page, where we have lots of great stuff going on over there. We, of course, are dropping the uh, the GWWE uh, revisited list uh, over there, as well as on the uh, PlaceToBeNation.com. So keep an eye out for that as we drop every Friday at 12 noon. And also be sure to uh, get involved with the greatest um, pop. Um, list we have going on right now where we are determining the greatest TV comedy of all time um, that of course will be due at the end of July so get your uh, research in on that and also don't forget to follow us over on Stream Lounge we have a lot of great stuff going on there Andy of course is doing um, currently doing all the Pixar films and he's about to uh, over with uh, Pop Goes the Classics and he's about to start the Star Wars series with uh, Blockbuster Rewatch and of course we also have streaming the classics on the wrestling feed where we are basically watching um 
various wrestling shows, so be sure to keep an eye out on that. Uh, with that said, uh, gentlemen, I thank you all for joining me. Like I said, this was a great uh, topic, bunch of topics to discuss, and I look forward to having you back on in the future. So, for Keith Langston, John Kisalika, and James Grunberg, I am Steve Riddle. This has been Making Matt Rushmore on the PTP Pop Experience, and we will see you next time. Start again.